The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. I know July 14th, guys, British Open. Uh, Roy McElroy, 9-1. Dustin Johnson, 28-1. How about Tiger, 40-1. I might throw some money on John Daly. You know, former champ, 1,000-1 odds. Why not? Go for the long shot. But uh, best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 221 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? It's the summer holiday edition, maybe we should call it. It's officially begun. The kids are out. The shenanigans will begin. I know my wife is, uh, as of recording time, she's having half a day here on Wednesday, and that is it. And, uh, yeah, I think she'll be sleeping until next Tuesday, I think. So been a long school year this year, but, uh, yes, the summer has officially begun as the kids are let out from, from school. But, uh, speaking of shenanigans, we got some shenanigans. We talk about in this episode, I have a very special guest, the real deal. Mike Segroy joined the program and, uh, we talked for nearly two hours and we cover his entire career. What a career, uh, you know, played all over and, uh, you know, from the NHL, the American league to overseas, the UK to the U-Haul, um, fought the enforcer tournament in Prince George in 2005. We cover it all. And, uh, I really want to thank Mike again for taking the time to, to sit down and, uh, and talk to me. Um, yeah, what a great guest and really, um, like I said, doing great things now with the, with his, uh, with his mixed martial arts team as well as his, uh, skills, his hockey coaching out there in Florida. And, uh, yeah, and we talk about all that. And, uh, I hope, I really hope, and Mike had left it open. He, he agreed. He, uh, he said he would be open for it, uh, to come back on the show. And like I said, not only did, like, I mean, we only scratched the surface of his career, I'm sure, but, uh, um, you know, just out some other topics in hockey that I would, that I think he would be great to have on and, and, uh, give his opinion on. So, uh, you know, um, in the near future, hopefully we'll get him back on. But, uh, in the meantime, I think you guys will really dig this interview. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, but for anybody, uh, tuning in that's new, um, and you're a Segroy fan and this is your first time listening, welcome. Thank you. Um, like I said, this is episode 221. Please, uh, 
please go back and check out the back catalog uh, if you're new. Um, I've interviewed lots of great guys. John Morasti, Steve McIntyre, uh, Joey Tedarenko. Um, I just had Alex Penner on last week. Um, yeah, on and on. And I, and I, like I said, if you go back, Clark Wilm, Roman Volpat. Uh, yeah, lot, lots of good guys. So, uh, yeah, like I said, if you go back and uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised if you go through the, the back catalog, I think you'll definitely find... Uh, Actually, what's really interesting, of course, I, I had mentioned the Enforcer tournament that, that Mike was in the finals with and, and, you know, and he lost to Dean Mayran in the final. Um, why had Dean on the show? And, uh, you should listen to that interview. A tremendous interview. Great guest. Um, but it's interesting to hear their two of their, their, the different perspectives of the event. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Dean was a great guest as well. Definitely check out that interview. But, uh, yeah, we do two shows a week around here, Wednesday and Sundays. And, uh, when they're not interview shows, I'll have fellow, I'll have fellow fight fans on and we'll pick a topic to, to BS about or just basically talk about their fandom and growing up and where, and what area they're from. And, you know, if they're in, grew up in the AHL city, then what was it like then? And blah, blah, blah. And just fellow fight fan stuff. Or it's me, like <laughs> solo rant episodes, but I stare out the window and yell about things, what grinds my gears, so to speak. But, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, if, if you're new to the program, definitely, uh, hopefully you stick around. I know there's a million podcasts out there in the world and, uh, you know, the fact that you chose to take time out to listen to this one, I greatly appreciate it. But, uh, I'm not going to talk for too long today. Like I said, nobody tuned in to hear me yap, so you're here to hear Mike. So um, I just got to do a few things here, and uh, and then we'll get into it. But obviously, I got to talk about the, the you know, the sponsors. Um, as I said, I'm a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. There's over 50 shows in the network. All the NHL teams are represented. So uh, whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. Um, of course, as I'm saying that, as we're going into summer, some of the shows have taken a hiatus until the season starts. But of course, with the Avalanche winning the cup, I mean that, those. Uh, there's a few. Well, and the NHL draft is coming, so there'll be definitely some shows about, uh, you know, uh, draft picks and that type of thing. So whatever, uh, like I said, whatever team you're interested in, there's a show there for you. Um, of course, from my off-network friend, of course, we had Alec Olin Salen over at the Fire for Fighting podcast, and I think it was last year he had Mike on his show. Um, so, which will be a, a different interview. So, like I said, we both we both approach the interview game differently and ask different things and that type of thing. So even though, um, and he did a great, and I've listened to his interview. It was a great interview with Mike and, uh, you know, and, uh, like I said, we approach things different. So it will be a different interview, uh, regardless. So, uh, but besides that, Frank by Lois, um, Ken Tasker, um, Rob Ray, he's had, he's had great guests on, um, I know he's been a little busy here the last couple of weeks, but, uh, I know he does have an, uh, uh, an episode coming out here shortly. Um, but yeah, definitely five for fighting podcast. Give it a listen. Also, if you happen to be on YouTube, the five for fighting YouTube channel, he's uh, put up a lot of the East coast league fights from this year. Um, so definitely give that a, there's hey, some tough kids this year. Um, so definitely check it out. He just put out a best of, uh, video compilation that was really good. I really enjoyed it. So definitely uh, give that YouTube channel a look. And uh, while you're there, if you could hit the subscribe button, I mean, you know, you're like, oh, okay, you know, might not sound like a big deal to you, but as a creator, believe me, it helps us out huge. And like I said, if you're on YouTube, Fourth Line Voice, I have a YouTube channel as well. I have over 2,500 fight videos. All the leagues are represented, AHL, IHL, whatever. Just type in whatever you, hey, type in Mike Segura. I got a bunch of Mike's fights up there. 
So some of his fights from when he was in uh, Lexington, which we talk about in the interview. Yeah, they're on my channel. Give it a look-see. Also, his fights with McLaren, Bugard. Again, we talk about all these fights in the interview, and they are on my YouTube channel. So if you want to pair them up and have a have a look while we're talking about them, definitely uh, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube as well. If you happen to be on social media, uh, Fourth Line Voice on Facebook as well as Twitter. I'm always putting up pictures and videos and that type of thing. So give me a follow. Um, I should have the Bob Probert uh invitational voting tournament it's a 64 man tough guy bracket i've done it for six years now like a march madness bracket but i pick 64 tough guys and we just vote and we just you know fantasy matchups although sometimes matchups actually did happen in real life but it's computer generated and uh it's it'll be on twitter and uh i'll i'll advertise for it and everything on twitter and i'll let let everybody know when it's coming up but it should be here in a couple weeks um yeah we have a lot of fun voting on it and banter and the bullshit that uh, that goes along with it and uh, it's been really successful on on twitter the the every year that i've done it so um definitely keep an eye out for that the bob probert invitational twitter tournament it's always a fun time but uh other than that folks um how about we get into this um uh yeah i'm just thinking i'm i'm just i'm kind of like yeah i don't think i have anything else to say um yeah, other than, well, I mean, the Colorado Avalanche won the cup and all that stuff, but uh, that's not really what this show is all about. But uh, I think I'll have more ranting and raving about that on Sunday on my solo episode. But uh, in the meantime, we're not here to talk about the Stanley Cup or anything like that. We're here to talk about Mike Segura, the real deal. And we're going to do that for the next two hours. I think you guys will really dig it. And uh, whatever platform you happen to be listening to this for, uh, show on, could you rate and review my show? That helps me out. I know I have all these demands. I apologize. But uh, it really does. Uh, and it goes for any of the podcasts that you listen to. If you listen to, uh, you know, and there's spit chiglets and all that, those big guys. But I'm talking about the the small mom and pop shops like myself and Alec and us little us little fries in the podcasting world. Your reviewing and rating our shows really helps us because when people listen to Spit and Chiglets, so to you know, for example, after they're done listening, it you know when on the that shows similar shows or if you're interested in that, you might like these shows. Well, that's how our shows end up in those similar two is uh, is it's done through rating and reviews. So that's why uh, we ask you to do that sort of thing because it helps us out. So if you could do that, that would be tremendous. But uh, other than that, guys, I will shut up. Let's get into it. Thank you very much for tuning in. Enjoy. Here's my conversation with Mike Segroy. We'll talk to you cats on Sunday. Thanks, everybody. All right, here on the Fourth Line Boys, got a special guest down in Florida. The real deal. Mike Segroy. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Special guest out of Florida. That sounds nice. I like that. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's better than part from Parts Unknown, right? So Parts yeah. Unknown, that's better. <laughs> Um, well, I'm, well doing, I'm doing fantastic in Florida right now. I just got uh, went to the beach a little bit today, enjoying the, enjoying the nice weather. I took a day off today, which is a little uncharacteristic of my uh, of my weekly schedule. I've been, but I've been about two and a half weeks with a day off uh, training and, and working with fighters and hockey players. So uh, today was a good day. <laughs> a little, Excellent little break. Absolutely. Well, everybody needs one of those, but, uh, yes, sir. yeah, I could think, I, I could think of too many better places for sure. Um, <laughs> well, we're going to get into, uh, what Mike, uh, Segura is doing with life after hockey, but before that, 
Uh, <laughs> like I was telling you before we get going, I, I always kind of like timeline a guy's career, and we're going to go through the whole the the the, the career of Mike here. So uh, I guess we're going to be here for a while then. <laughs> well, yeah, we might be, but uh, as everything, we got to start at the beginning. Uh, where did you grow up and play your minor hockey? I grew up, well, I was born in Toronto, uh, but I left Toronto and moved to Calgary when I was six years old, played most of my minor hockey for the Buffaloes in Calgary. Uh, but when I was 13 years old, I actually came and played for Nigel Kerwan in the Junior Lightning in Tampa. Uh, Nigel Kerwan is currently the oldest are the longest tenured coach in the NHL. He's been with the Lightning since their inception. Uh, he's he's the the longest coach to last in one organization forever. So um, and then um, realizing that Florida hockey was not what it is today, and believe it or not, it's got some uh, some developmental edges on Canadian kids even these days. And I'll we'll get into that later. But uh, I ended up going and playing juniors at a very young age, and I played. 10 or 15 junior teams uh, in the States and a little bit in Canada uh, before I was lucky to get a scholarship. So, Well, yeah. And uh, yeah, well, it was interesting because when I, when I was looking up your, you know, you, you played in the North American hockey league or North American, yep. uh, you know, uh, in Danville and in Springfield. Um, yep. Was there any, before we get into all that, was, was, did you have any thought of, or did you try out in major junior, like Ontario League or the Western Hockey League at all? No, I was uh, I was kind of set on trying to go to, to university. Uh, basically, my parents were kind of like, "This is the path you're going to take. You know, you're going to get an education out of this." And um, you know, obviously, there was there was some you know, when I was younger uh, playing in Calgary. You know, I played for Team Alberta. Uh, which is, you know, played in the Vancouver Super Series. You know, yeah. guys that are listening that, that know what that is, it's a pretty big deal, you know. So I was actually a, a pretty good player when I was a kid, um, you know, and it wasn't until junior hockey where I was actually an import because I was Canadian. So I was actually battling for one of two spots. That's all we had. There was two import spots in the USHL, North American League, and the Frontier League back then. So I was battling for some pretty, pretty high-level spots on the team. And I just I just wasn't good enough at that level to, to be one of the top players, you know, out of the European and the French guys and whatnot. So um, it's kind of when I started morphing my game into uh, into fighting, um, which was always was always a deep-rooted love. Uh, you know, people ask me all the time whether or not, hey, did you, you know, did your coach make you do it? Whatever. No, I've always absolutely loved fighting. Um, I just kind of knew, you know, as as my as my junior career, my pro career kind of got started. I knew I knew at a world level where my where my best talents lied. So, but yeah, all over in juniors. <laughs> well, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and like you said, down North American League there. You're, um, yeah, well, I, you answered my my next question was going to be: Were you always sort of like, it, like once you hit the junior level and you you know you could fight and everything else i mean and uh you know no cage actually i think back then did they even have visors in that league back then no i was i was like 17 with a with no cage or nothing like no visors or nothing like it was ridiculous yeah it was absolute warfare back then people have no idea what juniors used to be like the you know or the minors and so it's just absolutely it, you wouldn't even be able to if you don't know if you weren't there to see it it's unfathomable how shit was back then. It's absolutely incredible. But I look back and think about, I mean, we were going in the stands. I, it was the insanity. Uh, and it was totally normal and expected to some level. Uh, it, wild, wild. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, <opposite> of today. <laughs> well, exactly. And yeah, you know, I'm a, and I'm a few older years older than you. So, I mean, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. And it's amazing 
like you said, when, when like shit like that went down, like fights in the crowd or, you know, stuff like, or a brawl, like even a brawl. I mean, back then it was just like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, and it was sort of Tuesday already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas now, oh my God, they're ready to shut down the internet and it's like, it's the end yeah. of the world, right? Oh my God. And that person, yeah. And it was, it was kind of wild how it happened because I was, I was sort of making, I was really, really, really young. So I was 15 years old when I started playing and there was the Frontier League, the USHL and the North American League. And back then, all of them were, were – the USHL was definitely a touch above the North American League, and we're not talking about the best teams. We're just the – only, the only discrepancy was the low teams being a little bit lower. And the Frontier League, the Vail Avalanche, I played in Vail, um, these, these, these were some, like, top-quality teams. They were full of 20-year-olds. Uh, I know damn well my first year in Vail, there were some kids that were over 20 with their first certificates from Alaska that year. I mean, there was – it was a, it was just a different breed of hockey, and we're talking about American juniors too. So, like, I know Canadian juniors wild as hell too, but um, but yeah, American juniors was was nuts. And I, but because of the situation in Florida at the time, um, where there just wasn't any competition, I you know I was fourteen years old. I think uh, I was able to play for a year down here juniors when I was thirteen, playing with twenty year olds. Uh, when I was fourteen, I think I had like ten or fifteen goals in my first game, and my parents were like, "Fuck, we got to do something." Um, and they sent me, you know, they sent me away. I was starting to make a name for myself as a, as a player, but again, that that import rule kind of screwed me, and, and and I ended up in a in a position where I was like, "Fuck, man, how am I going to continue to play?" Like there there was like no options for me to, to nobody would take me until uh, until Danville was like, "Oh, we'll, we'll give you a shot," and uh, and I went to Danville and. I remember my first game. I don't even know how it all came about, but I ended up uh, dropping my mitts with a twenty. I was, you know, I think I was fifteen or sixteen. I dropped my mitts with a with a twenty year old guy who was one of the toughest guys in the league, and um, and we went toe to toe two nights in a row. And it was uh, I remember the Danville paper had reported that there was like two hundred thirty fans on Friday and uh, and like. 1100 on saturday after the fight so they they kept so it was like the coach was like holy shit and even my dad was you know had called the coach at that point like hey man like what are you doing with my kid like did you see the fight did you see him like it was wild uh those first two i i, I learned a lot about myself and even some some incredible lessons that i know and about myself in that first fight today uh it's incredible that i still hold some of the some of the things that happened in that first fight are still big, big mental building blocks for me um uh, on the way that i sort of approached uh the job it's crazy yeah i was gonna like yeah exactly so like you, you danville and then you know the next couple of years in springfield and i mean in your 19 year old year you go 300 minutes yep. and everything and yep. when did you really start um like you said, you start building from the first fight and the success from that. And when did it kind of like, you know what? I'm actually like really good at this. Like when did that sort of click in? It was a, a little bit of both. So there's, there's two different, there was two different uh, clicks for me. Um, so there's the junior one, the, the very first fight. So that fight, um, I have a, an old VHS copy of the fight. So I'm fighting a kid. He's a little shorter than me. And we throw down at center ice. We're getting, we're getting smashed. I wanted to play. I was like, fuck man, I've got to do something. So I threw my gloves off, and I, I remember hitting them three times, and then nothing. And then I remember I got hit really, really hard, and then I woke up in the fucking in the training room, and they were stitching me up. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man, okay, that didn't go so well." So uh, it was in the third period. There was there wasn't a lot of time left in the third period, so I'm getting stitched up there. I'm just they're just finishing up the sutures as I'm as I'm 
uh, as the game is getting done. So I'm, I'm kind of like ashamed a little bit, you know, it was actually my first fight ever. Um, I had never fought before this day. And uh, as a matter of fact, I got the shit bullied out of me when I was a kid. Uh, a big reason why uh, I turned into a fighter was because of that. But that's a whole, probably a whole episode there. But <laughs> anyways, uh, the guys were coming back in the locker room and they were like, man, that was awesome wow that was so fucking awesome and i'm like and everybody was giving me high fives i'm like are they being nice to me or like what the fuck watch the video i don't remember a thing i bounce back up like a rubber band after getting absolutely hammered with an overhand and just feed this guy don't couldn't uh, put a gun to my head couldn't remember a single detail about anything i was fully under the impression that i got knocked the fuck out and uh yeah so that was okay and the very next night we played the same team and I was, uh, I, just, I didn't sleep. I couldn't, I was like, is this, is this a real thing? Like, can I actually, and I'd been enamored with fighting my entire childhood. Um, always idolized uh, the fighters on every team. Uh, always something I, I just, I held to such a high standard. Uh, gave the guy another goal, uh, you know, four year difference in age. Uh, it's kind of big from 16 to 20. And, uh, and I gave it to him that second night. And uh, man, that's uh, <laughs> It was, uh, that's where, that's where the journey began. <laughs> the floodgates opened at that point. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, <laughs> well, in the, and when you're 19, like you said, you, you have 48 games, you got 28 points, 300 minute, far and away the league leader, 300 minutes. There was some, uh, in the, I was kind of looking up some rosters. There was some, there was some tough dudes down in that league back in, uh, back in your day, you know, you had, Are you uh, yeah, Yuri Moshevsky and yeah, Charlie yeah, Alizi and yeah, all- hey, oh yeah, I fuck and I, I was, I smashed a lot. Like that was those guys were, those guys were my, that was my benchmark to to. I fought a, I fought Rob Bain in an alumni game, uh, and he was, that was uh, everyone was like, you're gonna get killed, you're just gonna get killed, and I ended up you know breaking his nose in an alumni game at center ice. I mean, there was just these, these little stepping stones that you, that you gain confidence. It doesn't matter if you're a goal scorer, fighter, whatever you do, you have to, you have to have these successful, you have to have these successful outings or successful repetitions or something to give you the confidence to continue, you know, doing what you're doing. Uh, and those were the guys I was like, you know, I was watching them fight on, 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 again, on VHS copies and going, Holy shit. Like I just beat the shit out of that guy. That guy was killing. And well, maybe, maybe I have this, you know, the, all of those things and, and confidence and, and, and the, the, the mentality is everything to a fighter. Everything. If you don't believe you can do it, if you don't believe you're the toughest, you won't be. I promise you that. Um, well, you sort of glazed over it there. And I saw that you put this on Facebook a while ago. <laughs> What's the deal with the? Yeah, you you legit had a real fight in an alumni game. Like it wasn't like oh let's have some fun yeah. here. Like it was like legit. Like what no. you have, like what was it past There's heat a- with the guy or what? No, that was. This is a fucking hilarious story, actually, because I mean, this is just old time hockey in general. So this guy, Rob May, had played in, in uh, and he ended up playing some pro hockey. Uh, not, not, not the other. Not that this guy was tougher than the Rob May that played in the NHL. This guy was six six, two fifty, two sixty in juniors, um, and like you just absolutely like he had frozen turkeys for hands. I mean, this guy was like legendary. Like this is one of the reasons why Springfield. One of the reasons why Springfield was so dominant. Um, and just, just as a side note, the coach of the Springfield Junior Blues, Tony Curtali, was the best man at my wedding, you know, a couple of years ago. This is my mentor. Uh, I ended up, you know, 
switching over. And this is the if you know anything about him, that he's a huge hockey guy. He only puts together teams that you will be absolutely terrified to play against, and not in like a not in like a gratuitous way. Like the violence, it was it was a he had incredible players. He sent more kids to D one University than anybody I think in his years. He it was it was incredible, and the equipment manager, who's a little fucking shit disturber started messaging Rob May pretending he was me. No. All the all the and talking shit. And I had no idea that any of this was going on. And all the way leading up to it, he was like there was like a couple guys on the team and everyone like, You're not the toughest guy that ever played in Springfield, Rob May is and like that's all you had to say to me back then. <laughs> you didn't have to you don't have to go very far. <laughs> Even now, it's still a challenge if somebody does that shit to me for me to like pull back and go. No, I'm a mature guy. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not biting here. That's all you had to say to me back then, and I was like, "Fuck no, that's bullshit." I'm the toughest guy I ever fucking walk. You know, that's how fighters think. Successful ones, anyways. So I was like, "Well, if it happens, it happens." I didn't even realize that he had this shit planned out, taking his shoulder pads off, and he went out to the center ice, middle of an alumni game. Grown ass man. He was like. 26 or something at the time i don't even know i was 18 or 19 both teams who already knew this was going to happen i was the only guy on the ice that didn't know this was going to happen made us made a circle around the center dot both teams both the alumni like, both our team and the alumni and robbie's in the middle and i'm like standing at the bench the only one that doesn't know what's going on going are you guys fucking kidding me and he's like time to pay for your mouth boy <laughs> i was like i don't remember talking to you it was pretty funny after the fact that I found out that the equipment, it was a huge joke amongst us now because he didn't know either. He thought I was just being a dick, but it was really our equipment manager messaging him going, I'll fucking kick your ass in the alumni game and this and that. So he, I was more scared in that. In that. I know he played some minor pro hockey and just uh, uh, you know smashed guys when he played. And uh, he's actually a brilliant guy. He does a really good job right now. I'm making a few hundred thousand a year, you know, doing, doing great things. But he walked into one of my right hands. <laughs> I didn't think in a million years I could beat this guy. I, I wanted to think. I wanted to believe it. But I was like, I don't know. He's re- I was 180 pounds, 6'4". This guy's a grown man, you know, 6'6", 250. I was, there's, there's not a lot of chance. And, boy, he walked into one of my rights, and his nose went across the side of his face. And that was a major distinguishing. That was a major, major factor in my confidence moving forward. Uh, as a fighter, where I, that was that was the fight that I was like, "Fuck, I can really do this." So, well, there you go. All it took was an alumni game and uh, and a right hand, and yeah, we're off to the races. That's it. That's all. It's easy. Just easy. It's like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've heard that story a million times. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know the old alumni game fight. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah that's all, oh, that's tremendous. Um, well, your twenty year old year. You head up to the Great White North to Tecumseh in yep. the yep. in the Western Ontario Junior League. Um, how did that all come about? What made you come up to well, Canada? Kurtali. So Kurtali coached the Windsor Spitfires, and he left Springfield, and we had talked about it, and he's like, fuck, man, because he knew I could play. He always knew I could play. And he's like, fuck, man, I think I can get you a scholarship, Mikey. But, man, you might be tough enough to – to, to get the NHL to look at you, so I was I was nineteen I was nineteen I think when I went up there and he um, and they had a guy by the name of Jeff Kugel, yeah. And anybody that knows by the name Jeff Kugel, he's like one of the only guys to be suspended from the OHL for life. 
He was 6'9", 290. 6'9", 290. And he ended up being a pro boxer after that, heavyweight boxer. Like, but absolute, and he's an absolute phenomenal guy. I'm friends with him to this day. We chat on Facebook. He's a great dude. Um, and and, and Kirtali was like, Let's, why don't you come to camp? Come to Windsor Spitfire camp. We'll play you. The Montreal, those Montreal scouts were going to be there because Jason Ward, I believe, was their first pick overall. They wanted to see him in camp. So like, and, and Kirtali was like, you can take on Kugel. If you do well against this kid, buddy, I think I can get you in. You know, I think I can get the NHL and look at you. Well, I fought Kugel three times in my first game, and I don't. I didn't land a punch. I got absolutely fucking destroyed. This guy just ragdolled me. It was bad. It was bad. Like I was flopping around like a fish. He was just too big for me. You know, I was, I was 180 pounds. And again, you know, really slim. And uh, and Kurtali said, "Well, fuck. There's Tecumseh. That's the the." the tier two, the junior B team here. And he's like, you could play for Tecumseh, show your skills and maybe do something there. And uh, I was like, all right, let's, you know, he's all be close. You know, we can, you know, it'll still be like, you know, we're together, whatever. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I went up and put Kyle Wellwood was 15 years old and he was my centerman. He was 15 years old and I got 92 points. I think that year, I think I got 50 goals and 40 something assists and I had 265 penalty minutes. One of my best years, got a full ride scholarship, 90% to, uh, to you, Bless. So was 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 uh, was going up there and like and like like you said, getting your ass kicked by Kugel. Was that a real kind of kick in the nuts? Was that really deflating, or was it kind of like it that? Just dude says too big. I'd lost fights before, but I'd never been like hopeless in fights before, and I was fucking hopeless in that fight. And I remember this look. I'm like, fuck it, are they, are they that big though? I'm like, there's even like I remember, I just fought Rob May not too long ago, so it was like the big high and the big low, right? About six months between between these two fights, maybe eight months or something in between the two fights. And I remember thinking like, there's not one fighter in the NHL that's even close to this guy's size. So maybe maybe I just need to lift more weights or whatever, um, you know, and kind of what i did really so i got i got bigger i got stronger i i focused everything on fighting yeah. after it wasn't wasn't quite because i was playing at that point i was you know i was the i was a leading scorer in the horseshoe league i was the leading goal scorer in the horseshoe league at 50 you know like i was uh and then i didn't get a scholarship because i could fight so yeah well yeah <laughs> you know um, so um well, that's an interesting, like you said, in that league, like you said, you were playing with Kyle Wellwood, a couple other yep. notable names in there. Um, Steve Ott was playing in that league. Tim Gleason was yep. in that league. Drew yep. Fada, um, yep. f- former guest of the show and a tough dude in his own right. Colt King, he was in that league. Cool. That guess that pound for pound, that dude's no fucking joke. That guy nope. could really throw him. Yep. So, so yeah, so there was, there was some dudes skating around that league. Um, how man? How how good was Kyle Wellwood playing with that kid? Yeah, again, he. I, I was. I'm all speed. I'm all speed and, and uh, transition. You know, uh, and Wellwood was all set up. And uh, we, like, <laughs> I'd like to say we really clicked, right? But at that point, we were we were kind of equals. I mean, <laughs> from 15 to 19 are major developmental years. So for him being equal with me at that time was. You know, obviously he, he developed incredibly each and every year up until the fact, you know, all the way until he played for, you know, Toronto, whatever. But his ability to, to pass the puck and his vision, I got him drunk for the first time. It was fucking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, he was, he was a, he was a great, 
he was such an amazing playmaker that understood hockey. And I'm just such a run and gun flying around guy. Like he just put the puck in the right places. We, we made a really, really, really good, really good line. Um, I mean, I would imagine that most guys would have been pretty, he would have made everybody better, but he really made me better. His game, his game complemented my offensive abilities at that time that were, that we weren't sure which one was going to take me to the next level with my offense or my, but at that time we, I didn't know. I was thinking maybe I could be, you know, powerful or maybe I was fine. I, we didn't really know. So. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get it. I have a, yeah, I have a question about that. I'll get into that in a bit though. Um, yeah. Well, like you said, the next year, yeah, you're at, you, huh. Okay, you're you're at UMass. Um, I can't see Mike Segroy adapting to the NCAA hockey. Um, what did you think? I could have. Well, oh yeah, you could have. But I mean, what did you think of the college game? I it was it was a shock to me the lack of accountability immediately. Like my very first shift, I took a penalty because they came in. I I took us the whistle blew the goalie covered it and like. Four guys just started like spearing his glove with a covered puck. Like it's something that you never saw in juniors. I was like, "What the fuck?" Like I and I just lost it. It was my very first collegiate shift. Um, and as a matter of fact, it was way into the season because our we had twelve freshmen and Tim Whitehead was our coach. We had twelve freshmen that year. Um, uh, God, there's a lot of guys. Smoky. Oh, Ron Hainsey. Ron Hainsey was my roommate. So me and Ron Hainsey. Who played for the you know the the, the Canadians? Right? He was uh, he was my roommate. Fuck, was he a talented kid? Um, and I got a hit pointer in our first inter squad game. So you know, in college they bring you in, you do all this crazy shit. We were running up mountains, getting up at four a.m. in the pools at the at the at the university. Then we play an inter squad game. I run into the boards with the bench open and get a hit pointer. I'm out for two months. I get my first game back. I get my first game back. My my uh, first shift, I get a penalty. <laughs> We're playing against BU. He plays me against BU, this fucking idiot. Plays me. I've never played a collegiate shift in my life. I'm playing against Farkas, Belfay, and Gianta. Um, this ludicrous shit, right? I mean, just absolutely the worst. This guy's not a good coach. Anyways, <laughs> this is my, this is my uh, opinion right there. There you go. Um, so our goalie covers the puck up, and I just – I remember people – like it was like stabbing at a, at a, at a wild boar, you know, or something. It was It was – ridiculous like the whistle had blown and there must have been three seconds of just people going to town so i just started punching people and i got sat for a period for that so i got off the i got off the i got out of the penalty box sat down he says yeah this isn't juniors you're gonna sit there for a bit until you figure that out and i was like okay uh, fair no problem first college shift second college shift he literally puts me out there against their first line they fucking somebody farkas puts it through my legs and then goes in and scores it was like it was a it was an absolute nightmare it was an absolute nightmare it was a, it was a it was a recipe of failure um looking back at it now you know you always want hey man it was an opportunity could have done something with it man like this i look back at it now i don't make excuses for shit i was like that was a tough one to come out successful there really wasn't a lot of avenues that that could have that could have got me to play a good game at that point so that was uh that was the ball rolling downhill from there. Um, you know, I got played four games, uh, maybe six. I don't know. It was four or six. And uh, it was January, and I'd only played six games, you know, coming off a 92-point season. Um, and I'm kind of like, you know, I walked into to Coach Whitehead's office, and I said, hey, man, uh, you know, what do you, what are your plans for me? Like this year, next year, like, do you, what do you think? And he's like, well, you know, I don't see you having a big role next year either. And you know, we've got a lot of work to do on this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. He said, well, 
what do you mean you're leaving? I said, well, I'm leaving. He goes, well, what are you, you going to do? And I said, I'm going to try my hand at pro hockey. And he laughed in my face. He laughed in my face and said, you can't play on my team. You can't play on, on my team here. How do you, what do you makes you think you're going to be successful in pro hockey? And I remember that resonating in me like, like a poison. Like it hurt my feelings so bad. I'm a sensitive guy in case you don't know, just letting you guys know I'm a real sensitive guy. So I <laughs> uh, hurt my feelings and I got really, really, really upset. Uh, and I left and within eight months I had a Detroit Red Wings jersey on playing preseason games. Yep. So that's, uh, that's another good one. And not only that, I ended up getting, eventually got sent down to Cincinnati for Babcock. Absolute awful human being, just a bad guy. The things he said to me in like a, in a, in a three to four week period and the things he said to other people and his mind games and stuff like that. I was, I was, it was awful. And then I ended up going to send down to new Orleans. And that was before the flood. And the captain of UMass Lowell, Bell, who's a much better hockey player than me, uh, they cut him for me. So they, they sent him home so they could, so New Orleans could have a tough guy. So it was, um, yeah, that was a, a really interesting transitional period, going from junior B to six games in university uh, with barely any shifts to Red Wings uniform, five preseason games. And, Scotty Bowman telling me that he likes me. (laughs) Yeah, well, that was my first exposure to you. Um, Being a fight guy was, um, of course, being in Saskatoon, Darcy Ortachuk. Saskatoon Blades, right? So you and him had that great fight in Traverse City at the rookie tournament. Yeah, that's what got me there. So Coach Curtali, this is how I got on there. So the Detroit Red Wings did not invite me to camp because they thought I was a great hockey player. Tony Curtali, my you know the guy I was telling you about from Springfield, yep. coach, and some, some people I'm, I'm sure listening know he's he was in the top 25 uh, Peoria Rivermen. He was a player coach when they won the cup, and um, you know again one of the most decorated junior hockey coaches, and, and honestly one of the best people in the entire world, best hockey minds. Um, he, he essentially he called in his biggest favor with Ken Holland and said, "Hey, listen, I know it doesn't look like this kid can can play." But can you just you just bring him to Traverse City and the kid can fight and he'll go through a wall for you. Just and it was a favor and they said they said yeah they said okay sure we don't have anybody we didn't have anybody. They had Darren McCarty you know that was it and um, and I went there and I remember I caught I caught Hordy because me and Hordy ended up being buddies afterwards. We played together in uh, in, Chicago. in Chicago for a few yep. shows yeah and uh, but I I cut him open. He told me it was twenty eight stitches with that first punch and, uh, and and that's when they were like holy shit and then I went and scored a few goals. Now, here's something that people don't really know, is they invited me to main camp from that rookie camp. And I played with Gilchrist, Brown, Avery. Actually, I was with Avery in, in my preseason games. I led, I, and Jason Williams was my roommate, I led all rookies in scoring in main camp, in Detroit Red Wings main camp. And they were like, holy shit. So we got to play in the fucking exhibition games now. So I, got, I have... I know I'm long-winded on this one, but they, they played me. I, I played in Columbus Blue Jackets franchise opener with Sean Avery and uh, started a brawl at the end of that game because I, I didn't know if it was ever going to be my last NHL games. I asked Lyle Oldline to fight. I said, Mr. Oldline, would you please give me the honor of fighting? He was like, kid, I'm 36. Please pick someone else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it was like two minutes left. I started a brawl. And that's before the internet. This is way before the internet. The papers, Sean Avery ends up getting absolutely fucking tooled at center ice 
Um, and I love Sean, so uh, I'm not even saying that in a bad way. I fucking love Sean. But he got beat up really bad, and I, I just grabbed the biggest defenseman and just handed it to him. Well, the paper the next day mixed up our names. So the Columbus paper had me getting my motherfucking ass kicked at center ice. And Sean dominating his fight, and I, I was freaking out, you know, because I'm like, no, everyone's going to think I lost. So, um, yeah, it was. I played two games, and they sent Sean. So I played two games to the wings, uh, tried to fight. Uh, in, in Boston, no one was fighting me. I was just running around. And uh, so Holland calls me in, and Avery in, and William stayed. I remember he's like, all right, you guys are going to Cincinnati. So I'm walking out of the Joe Lewis with my bag, sticks, next to Sean Avery, and I'm walking by Scotty Bowman, who's walking into the rink. And I've only played two exhibition games at this point. Scotty Bowman walks by, doesn't say a word. He was just, he was just kind of a weird guy, kind of quiet. You're scared shitless of him if you're a rookie. Like, you just keep your head down, right? Walks by, doesn't say a word, right? Which is kind of normal. And, uh, and turns around and goes, Scroy, 76, which was my number. And I, Sean and I turned around, I stopped, and I, I go, yes. <laughs> and he's like, where are you going? And I said, Cincinnati. And uh, I said, Holland just sent us to Cincinnati. And he goes, you're on the ice in 45 minutes. And then turned around and walked away. And I looked at Sean, and Sean goes, you better fucking go, dude. And I played three more exhibition games. I didn't end up getting the contract that I wanted, but cool story. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, and then, of course, this leads to down to the American League with Cincinnati. And like you said, yep. Babcock's the head coach. Kevin Kaminsky's yep. the assistant coach. You're Love down Kaminsky. There. Hey, love Kaminsky, by the way. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, he's such a nice guy. Um, yeah, and then so you're there with Avery, Kevin Sawyer, Dean Malakoff. You know, uh, yep. um, awesome. well, playing I mean, that old Cincy barn, not the night, not the new one, that old one in the hood. Like it was, like you don't want to. You got to go. Don't go outside of the ring day with with the Cincinnati. Don't walk around. <laughs> well, you you briefly touched on it, and I mean. Well, I mean, the stories are out there, and it's, uh, you know, Mike Commodore has been very vocal and, and stuff yep. like that about Babcock. I've had guys on my show um, that were coached by Babcock, and it's, he's polarizing, right? Some guys were, you know, had nothing good to say about him. Some guys were, he was okay. No one's actually come out and said he, they liked him. Most of it was, yeah. I find no, he's he okay. But I mean. It's a, it's a totally, you can't have a conversation with him without him trying to, like, mentally fuck you somehow. And, and just in a weird way, and again, I, I was there for like three months, maybe, maybe even less. Like, I'm not even talking about like he coached me for years or whatever. I just remember, I, I vividly remember important aspects of people, and this is one of them. I fought a guy, uh, Davidson, who ended up playing in the NHL for years as like a legitimate heavyweight. Like, the guy was, and he was a pretty solid defenseman, maybe played for Anaheim. I can't remember. American League, too. Like, he was a rookie as well, but absolute legitimate dude. And I beat him cleanly in a fight. I, I have the fight on video again. There's a lot of VHS copies over at Casa Destroy. But I cleanly, cleanly beat him, right? But, I mean, it was a really good fight. It was a really good fight. And I, I got him at the beginning. He came in the middle, you know, got me in a little bit middle. Then I, I poured it on at the end, and it was a clear – it's not even an edge. You know how we call it in hockey fighting a little bit of an edge. It was a, it was a victory, but it was a hard-fought victory, okay? Like, I didn't, I, I didn't knock him out. I didn't smoke him. But it was a hard-fought victory. And I remember him calling me into the office and going, yeah, yeah, I mean, but it's not like you fucking killed the guy. You know, he's like arguing with himself about how I didn't do well in the fight. And I, like that was the purpose of me coming into the office. And I remember looking at him kind of weird, like, 
I'd never had a coach disrespect me after a fight. Every coach I've ever had, whether win, lose, or draw, didn't matter who they were, what level I played at, it just didn't matter. I always got a tap in the ass, even if I got fucking killed. It was like, hey, you know, thanks, thanks for showing up, you know, or, yeah. or at the worst, nothing, you know. But I'd never had somebody specifically call me into a meeting to talk to himself about how I didn't knock the guy out. It was so bizarre, and I, I remember making it. I must have made a face or something, and he didn't like that. And, uh, yeah, I was, in, I was in Toledo within a couple of days, so um, I was not happy with that at all because I, I, I went ham, man. I fucking I took a couple of shots. I mean, I went really hard. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't do things half-assed. I've never done things half-assed. I was all in, man, you know, and I, I just I felt really disrespected by that. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that piles on you. You know, you get those uh, – chip on your shoulder and chip gets bigger every time somebody fucks with you a little bit. And that was definitely uh, one of those ones I remember. Yeah. Well, and you, you, you talked about Avery. I mean, there's another polarizing character. I've, again, <laughs> I've had guys in the show hated him, teammates yep. didn't like him, And then other guys liked him. And like you just said, you were, you and him are friends. I love him. I love him. I love him. I, I you know what? I, there's very few guys I really, truly dislike. Like a lot of guys, like I played for Michelle Tarion. People hate that guy yeah. with a burning passion. I fucking love him. He's so funny to me. Like I know that's not how he's trying to come across, but dude, look at it. Like He is the toughest coach to play for. And just like most tough, hard-nosed asshole coaches, he had like 70 career penalty minutes. So I can't take him serious when he's angry. Of course, he's got your life in his hands as a coach, but it's still like when he gets mad and starts insulting people's families and kids and shit, like it's not, that's not funny. But the fact that this guy who had like 70 minutes and fucking penalties in his career is trying to be tough is funny to me. So I never, it didn't, it didn't, I, I wasn't sensitive to him. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's, like I said, there's very few people. I, I definitely have a list and I have a long opinion on, you know, 10 of the guys that I fucking hate. But outside of that, like, I actually like, I, I really like most people and most hockey guys. Oh, like, really do. Well, there you go. Uh, well, like you said, you, you go, you're in Toledo. Like, well, and then talk about Barnes. What was it like playing in that old Toledo barn? They must yeah, have loved yeah, your right. ass when you were there. Oh, I loved it there. You know, I just wasn't a good hockey player. I really wasn't for a while. I wasn't even a good enforcer. I could fight and I could play. And I had skills, but I didn't know how to play the game the right way, and I didn't know how to do my job the right way. Um, and certainly, you know, talking from an excitement, you know, standpoint, I I I'd play in Barnes like Toledo. My whole it's actually bad for the way I'm a speed guy, believe it or not. Like I fly, I'm a neutral zone guy. There is no neutral zone in Toledo. There's just three lines, and then you have both ends. Like it was, yeah. it's the smallest rink ever. I mean, it's not now anymore, but um, they allowed cigarettes and and cigars. I think. <laughs> Uh, so you would always have like this waft of smoke in there while you were playing. There was no glass behind the benches, so if you ever played against Toledo, which I did a bunch after that, you would you fans would throw popcorn on you. There's nothing there except a little tiny string, and we would brawl the fans. And Toledo fans would come specifically to pick fights, physical fights with the other thing. You wouldn't sit behind. They had the dog pound. They were ready. I mean, that shit was normal. You had to, to get to the locker room. You had to walk through the lobby. You had like a little, a little strip that would, you would have to walk through the busiest part of the fan section in, on like sort of cut in half and, and get to your locker room. So it was the most hostile between that and Johnstown, the two most hostile places I've ever seen in my entire 
life, and I've seen a lot of rinks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, your first year down there in the East Coast League, you uh, you fought some names, and uh, I just want to throw them at you because a couple of wow, yep. this guy was a actually he was a former guest on the show as well, a great guest too, um, and you fought him twice uh, in Toledo. It was actually your uh, Jesse Rosanzoff. Oh shit! Yeah, he was. He was my he was my my first. I think it was my first big big fight. I think yeah. it was my first fight for real. Um, pretty even fight. If anything, I would have given my first. I would give him the a little bit of an edge. I don't remember how many times I fought my first year, but I remember my my winning percentage wasn't huge. I didn't lose badly ever. I didn't get like, I, I, but I definitely got edged out a few. I was just fighting anyone I could with a name. Um, a little different than the way they do it these days. Yeah. Um, but anybody that had any kind of uh, uh, a background or anything, I just wanted to make a name for myself. I was just so hungry. Um, and you know, along with that came the attitude. And you know, I'm 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 from a real good family. And you know, I, I'm I'm pretty nice guy. I like people. I just have a really fucking wild ass streak in me. So I had to sort of. It doesn't really mold with who I am as a person. You know, like, and, and you can see that now with what I'm doing for a living, you know, helping kids and stuff like that. That's really who I am. So I had to make like a, a, a proper alter ego. And it's something I think about a lot today where I, I really just tricked myself. Um, and it worked. I mean, I was a wrestling character for most of my, you know, certainly my early careers as a fighter. It was a, it was what I thought a fighter needed to be like or how they needed to act. I just didn't have any. I was kind of doing it on my own. I didn't really have a, uh, you know, I had a mental toughness mentor. Like, you know, Katali showed me how to be tough, but being a fighter and how to behave and how to, it just, I really didn't know what to do. I was great. I, I fight. I was a great fighter, but that doesn't make a great enforcer. You got to know how to do your job in order to be effective. And I just, I just didn't. And I was selfish and self-absorbed uh, for a lot of my early career. I, I'm really glad that, that I learned the, the right way to behave and the right way to act and, um, the right way to do my job. I, I, what, uh, you know, a little too late at some point, but um, I'm glad I did figure it out. Well, and it's inter- it's interesting that you brought that up, yeah, because I've, I've I've talked about that on here before with guys, and it's and it truly is. There's a difference between being a good enforcer and a good fighter. Those 100%. are two different things. Big time, big yeah. time, big time. No, that's a you know you have a, you have a list of requirements <laughs> uh, that have to come before your ego and your desire to be the best fighter in the world. Um, because you ultimately still are playing a team game, even though, you know, fights are very individual. Um, and you might not get a lot of ice time, you know, depending, depending on what coach you have. Yeah. You know, I've, I've gone from power play to one shift the game. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it depends, you know, it depends. It's still, but it's still a team game. But as a fighter, um, it does get a little bit more, uh, uh individual, you know, because yeah. your, your success is measured by what you're doing on an individual basis, not how, not how you play. It obviously helps. And certainly nowadays you can't do anything without being effective as a player, um, you know, which is why guys like Tom Wilson and Reeves, you know, those guys can still play in Delorier. They can still be really effective. Um, but in my day, they certainly didn't need to play, you know, yeah. so which made it a little bit more individual, which left the door open for a little bit more egotistical, arrogant behavior. A lot like goalies, you know, well, not, not all goalies are arrogant, but in that sense where it's kind of on you. Like, it's not like how you play with the team. It's on you. Of course, goalies need to read the play, whatever, but it's them and the puck, right? It's not like we're, we're doing breakouts and power play options, and controlled breakouts. It's stop the fucking puck. Like, obviously, you have to read the play and understand what your team is doing, and that's going to help you be more successful. Um, but that's very much like, you know, like a fighter. Like, you know, um, 
you could go out there and not not do real well for your three or four chefs, kick the shit out of the toughest guy in the world, and you'd be the best best fighter in the world. You know, get paid a million too. So, um, you know, learning all those little idiosyncrasies and those details, and you know, that was uh, that was a bit of a journey for me. That was a bit of a journey for me. So yeah, well, and like, and and it's and it's not an unlikely it's not an un, uh, unlikely story, right? All the guys I've had on here said it, it took a while to. Yep. It's fighting's fighting, but to learn yep. when and why and how to use yep. it proper as yep. use it as a tool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it took a while to be effective. Yeah, to yeah. Be, to be effective as a, as a teammate, I was for so many years. I was just concerned being the toughest guy in the world, and my skill set as a as a player. Uh, definitely worked against me because I didn't even really. It's, the irony is, I actually teach contact clinics now, and I'm um, I'm really, really you know one of the one of my niches as a business guy is being able you know as a hockey coach is being able to to dissect the fundamentals of of body checking and teach it to kids from a safety aspect and from an aggressive aspect. Um, and the irony behind that is, I I had I couldn't hit for shit. I was I was throwing my arms up. I was doing all the wrong stuff. That was awful. It was a terrible. I was a terrible hitter, and and me not focusing on that part of my game, and then as soon as I would beat the shit out of somebody, I would just go out and try to score goals, and I would, I would score some goals. I mean, I got twenty five in the East Coast League one year. I got a hat trick in the American League. I mean, I, I put up not not incredible numbers or anything, but I, I, you know, for for a guy getting very 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 limited ice, I got some halfway decent numbers on a few of these years. Completely worked against me. Because I wasn't able to do my job correctly. I was too worried about, I want to score goals and I want to kick the shit out of people. So that's how I'm going to play. And it was ultimately, it was incredibly selfish and, and terrible, uh, you know, team guy shit for me. Um, and then it wasn't until, you know, my, my early 30s that I was like, I was a good teammate, you know, end of my 20, 28, 29. I was in Elmira. I was figuring it out. But as a player, I didn't figure out that my offensive abilities and desires on how I wanted to play ended up ultimately hurting me in my 10 forward role. Cause on a world level, I'm not a good enough player to make the NHL. If I, and maybe if I concentrated all of my time that I concentrated on fighting, if I'd have worked on my skills, then maybe who knows, but that's not who I was. So on a world level, you know, I'm a world, I'm a world level fighter. And, you know, I'm certainly showing that after my career that I had spent more time <laughs> more time working on fighting like okay, UFC fighters <laughs> you know right now Fusion XL has 10 UFC rostered fighters you know I have uh, you know 10 undefeated professionals we have one of the best fight teams in the world right now so um, it's it, it certainly was my passion but again learning how to be a teammate a good teammate and how to you know all those things did not come till much later so yeah. well um well, like you said you start. You're in Toledo. You're in New Orleans. I was going to say at the end of this, at the end of your first year, you end up in Greensboro. There's yeah, some interesting yeah. cats on that team. This is uh, you got Chris Waltz, former guest yep. of the show, uh, yep. veteran Bobby Helkitas, and then a future crazy in Trevor Gillies. What was it? He was uh, behind Kurtali. He was my groomsman at my wedding. Yeah, so. I know. He, I know he was. Yeah, I saw that. You had the toughest wedding party ever. Yeah, it was. It was literally the absolute bunch of meat. I had three professional fighters. It was ridiculous. It was. It was literally. There was so much meat in my wedding. It was retarded. Well, when you first get to when you first get down there and you run into Gillies, I'm assuming this is the first time you've ever been around him. Was when you got to Greensboro. Instant best friends, like instant best friends. We played, we played on the line together. It was a fucking oh my god, what a circus! 
Oh man, we're instant best buddies. Like really, and it, it was just he. There, a lot of the fighters um, who uh, there's so many. Gillies and I aren't aren't we're alike in only a few different ways, but the ways that him and I are alike are very profound, and they're a large makeup of our personalities. So we're very different people in a lot of different ways, um, but on a fighting level. And one of the reasons why he's going to be okay post-fighting career, like I'm going to be okay post-fighting career, um, in, in my heart of hearts, is because we absolutely loved what we did. We loved. We, you know, and I told you, hey, you know, you got to fight if you want to stay. You know, that, that, they didn't have to ask me twice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, and as soon as I, I found out I was good, I, I ran with it. I embraced it. There was a couple times where I was like, maybe I'm a player too. Maybe I could be a power forward. But there was never a time where I said I didn't want to be a fighter. There was never a time where I was going to be like, okay, well, I just won't fight and I'll try. No, there was always, well, maybe I'll just fight uh, 15 times instead of 35 <laughs> and try to score. <laughs> like it was never, I'm not going to fight. I was always going to fight. I was always going to be a fighter. That's always the way it was going to be. Gilly's the same way. Absolutely loves it. No matter the damage we didn't, you know, like it wasn't like we had to escape from anything like, Oh my God, we got to do this again this weekend. Of course it's a hard job, but we both relished it and, and, and enjoyed our time doing that so much. And I think that's one of the reasons we have such a good connection him and I, Still to this day, I mean, best route to you. So, yeah, he, uh, yeah, that's that's an intense individual for sure. And he, <laughs> I mean, um, that dude did it a long time and was successful. And uh, yeah, he was he was. I'm a huge fan of Gilly. I, thought, he was I awesome. thought I was the hardest worker. Like I, I would I would put in these three and a half four hour days, uh, you know, with MMA, and then I would be squatting and sprinting, and I'd be like, I'm fucking going. We're going. I'm going to Georgia. I'm gonna show him. I'd get up there and fucking five, six hours into it, and I'm like, oh, I'm fucking done. He's like, come on, let's dig some fucking ditches. Let's go. I'm like, he just, it was, I've never, I, I always thought that I could, I'm like, I'm going, next summer, I'm going to get him. Next summer, I'm going to show up in better shape. I'm going to be stronger. And I couldn't. I just could never. He was the only person that trained harder than me. I, it wasn't because I, I just didn't, I, I couldn't. I couldn't do anymore. He was able to stay durable. And uh, his reco- his his natural ability to recover is fucking some Wolverine shit, man. So. Yeah, yeah, that dude's unreal. Um, well, the next year you're in the American League with the Chicago Wolves, and uh, and then you spend uh, and then you're down in Quad City in Rockford. Um, were yeah. you uh, at this point? Like, I mean, you're still obviously still young, but is it? Yeah. Are you starting to kind of get frustrated that you can't stick in the American League? Is it starting to get a little irritating? No, like, no, because that was only my so I only I played for three years. My that was my second year. So I was only that's my true. Second yeah, year. yeah, yeah. I knew. I mean, I played for a few teams. I, I was lucky. You know, I I, I knew it wasn't going to be a quick run. I knew nothing. <laughs> nothing happens easy for me, but <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. I already. I always have a long road. Some people, it's like that. Maybe I bring it on myself. Who knows? But that's just the way it is for me. So I was under no delusions that this was going to be some, you know, walk in the park making the NHL. Um, you know, just being on that team. I mean, look, look at the names on that on that team. Yeah. Uh, that might have been the highest payroll in Chicago Bulls history. Uh, I mean, you're talking some big boys. Uh, Brown, Malte, Miracle, uh, uh, Scaldi, Hoggard. Uh, I mean, just the list goes on. I mean, the, the experience on that team was just insane. Um, and I, I, again, I, I wasn't a good enough player yet. 
uh, not like skill wise, I could do a bunch of shit offensively. I didn't understand systems. I didn't understand, you know, getting the puck out on the fucking blue line and not turning shit over. And, um, you know, I just didn't understand, you know, proper ways to forecheck, cut the ice in half, take the walls away. I just didn't understand some of the stuff that I should have understood. Um, and that definitely hindered me in the American League level. Um, you know, I fought Roman Nadur yep. uh, and dropped him. Uh, that was a, a big thing for me. It was kind of a we we got tangled up, and he was. I remember going, Gee, and I was huge back then. I was jacked, and I remember him and I tangling up, and he gave me a little push pull, and I was like, "Whoa, this dude is big and strong." And I I, I kind of got underneath him a little bit, and got him spun around and threw a really nice little left hook, and it just checked him right on the chin. He dropped, and he was not happy about about me beating him, uh, and it was a bit of a mess, and then we never ended up getting tangled up again. Um, I ended up getting suspended for something. I can't remember, and then, um, then I got sent down. Kevin uh, McClellan, I believe, was the coach at Quad City, and uh, a very, very big regret was me, me not being more mature as a player and as a fighter when I played for him. So I feel like later on in my career, if I could have just been a little bit more, I'm not a big what if guy or whatever, but I just, I really did. I respect him. I know why he didn't like me. and I know why he traded me um, now that I'm older. And I wish I could have been a little bit better for him because he is a great coach and he was a great guy. So and I just didn't, I didn't, I keep the shit out of people, but I was just a real shitty teammate. So, well, and Rockford, when I got traded to Rockford, that was, that was when I really opened it up. That's when I found out how, how tough I really was, was in Rockford. So the UHL was no joke. No, it was no, it was not. Well, and before we get out of Quad City, I got to ask you because you played with a couple legendary minor league names down there. One of them being Kerry Toporowski. And and (laughs) what? Do you have any stories of Topper? Yeah, Luke. Yeah, Luke. Luke Todd fought Kerry too. I fought. He was he was at the end of his career, and I kind of forced him to fight me, and uh, he definitely didn't want to square up and. Uh, you know, but, but honestly, uh, absolutely phenomenal guy, great teammate. And just <laughs> one of those guys, just, you know, not, I'm his polar opposite when it comes to like personality. He was that quiet, says like four or five words, all of them really funny and super sarcastic and dry. You know, I'm always, I'm loud as fuck talking shit. But he just had that like, you know, quiet confidence with that, that look just like, I don't know. I, I, I liked him a lot. I thought he was a great leader, great, great great player uh very very tough uh, i didn't know how tough he was until I, I watched his vhs kids that's what we had to do we had to watch vhs copies yep. right? we don't look on fucking so but yeah he he was super legit and like i said i think his son luke is like an absolute stud playing in the yeah. ohl right now but he yeah. just got drafted in the ohl or something so super happy for him and his family for that that's like awesome i love hearing shit like that well, and like you said, the U-Haul, there's no shortage of toughness back then. And uh, a few of the names I'm going to hit you with that you dropped the gloves with. And, I mean, legendary names. First one, yep. when you were in Quad City, uh, was Rammer, Bruce Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And yep, uh, yep, yep. another guy, Kevin Holiday. Yep. And, and then yeah, those, are, those guys are tailor-made for me. Yeah. So if you're like, if you're like 6'1", and uh, so... <laughs> If you're six one or six <laughs> eleven, there's certain guys that I mash up. You know, styles make fights. Yep. Those guys, the whole league was tailor made for me, um, except for Marty Melnichuk. Well, that was the next name I was going to throw actually, out. Yeah. So this is yeah, we'll get there because I think we fought six or seven times. It was for the belt. There was nobody even close to us. There was us two, and then the rest of the league. And there was some, you know, Kevin Hall. It was good, legitimately tough guys. But I was. Yeah, that was one of my best fighting seasons. I've had a couple good ones. That's that's in my top five of all my seasons of fighting. 
And I, I, I remember, I was telling the story a couple of days ago to one of my friend's kids who's trying to be a tough player at U18. I was in a fight, and it was after I got traded from, uh, from Quad City. I was in a fight in Rockford. I can't remember. It was this Russian guy, Dapuma or something. Was, I can't even remember. And I'm doing the whole one punch, punch, recover, punch, recover, punch, recover. You know, that whole back and forth where you're just – you're swinging, he's swinging, you're swinging, he's swinging. And I'm like, I'm a big jack dude, but I'm not a terribly big heavyweight. Like, I'm 6'4". At the time, I was, you know, 235. I was jacked. But that's not a real big heavyweight from back in the day, right? Like, those guys were fucking monsters. Uh, and I remember halfway through the fight, I just was like, fuck it. And I just threw two real quick. So I'm doing this, like, trade-off. One, eat one, give one, eat one, give one, eat one. And then all of a sudden, I went, bop, bop. And I hit him twice before he could even reload. And then he hit me. And then I hit him with like 20 in a row. <laughs> and anybody that's ever seen me fight knows there's two things that made me good at what I did. One was I'm extraordinarily fast for a big guy. Still at 43, I still have that quickness. And I'm incredibly aggressive and I was fearless in fights. Uh, certainly wasn't stronger than a lot of guys and wasn't longer than a lot of guys. But those are my things. And there was literally, it was a, it was a, a, a mid-fight against this guy in Rockford. I, I can remember the punches. And I remember going, I'm faster than this. And I just started going as fast as I could. And next thing you know, I was like, holy shit, that was pretty, that was pretty, I was like kind of surprised myself. From that day on, my style was born. <laughs> and I, I just, and the only guy that I had trouble with, so I went and I, um, I, I gave it, I was giving it to Melnichuk. So I was just running through the, the UHL. I mean, I was just, you know, guys like Holiday, you know, it's running through the UHL. And I was like, oh, you got to, Gonna have to deal with Marty Melnichuk at this point. I'm like, oh, who's this? You know, and they're like, yeah, he's about six two, about two seventy. <laughs> he doesn't wear shoulder pads. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> sounds fun. And uh, and I I we had a minute. Uh, I think our first fight was a minute and fifteen seconds. And I don't think he landed one punch for a minute and fourteen seconds. And I think I must have hit him about fifty or sixty times until the last punch, where he fucking blasted me. And it's the hardest I'd been hit at that time. Is the hardest I'd been hit, and um, and it was it was just a wild scene because my guys were like, "What the fuck?" and it was crazy. And then that that became uh, that was the start of a six fight series, which I believe were ended in a draw. I, I think we're I think we're if I remember right, I think I was I was he was two wins, I was two wins, and then our last one was pretty fucking even, and uh, and that that's a that's a fair rep. I'm, I'm, if anything, I'm hard on myself when it comes to wins and draws and, and edges, uh, and, and that's a fair representation of how it went. And none of them were snoozers. <laughs> there were there was one point where uh, he came to Rockford and I was I was hitting him and he pulled back to do my shoulder pads and his arm got caught in his jersey and I fed him like three in a row and he's squirming around. He's like, my my arm's caught, my arm's caught. And I stopped and I separated. And he put his sleeve back on, and we went back. I gave him a couple seconds. Crowds going fucking bananas, and then we went back in. So, um, you know, we uh, we we definitely. And I've, I've talked to him on Facebook and stuff like that. Those are those are some pretty incredible memories. You know, going going to toe with it. You know, toe to toe with him. He is one hell of a fighter. He's meat, very tough. The meat grinder. Yeah, it's the meat well, grinder was no joke. No, he wasn't. No well, joke. Speaking of Jersey, did you ever like? Did you do? Were you a Jersey guy? Did you do any modifications or anything? 
Yeah, I did front tie downs. I did front tie downs, and I would uh, before they were like real tight with it. I would sew my sleeves tighter. So a lot of fighters like their sleeves super loose. Yeah. I went extremely tight because my my uh, one of my strengths is the square up, like my entries. Um, obviously, from all the boxing and Muay Thai and all the stuff that I've done, my entries felt so comfortable on the ice. So um, I want my I don't want anybody to grab anything. <laughs> so I did front tie downs so that you couldn't grab and pull it over my front because that was something I would try to do because everyone obviously had the back tie downs. But I would try to jersey from the front, especially if I ever was against the glass. So I did the quarter and the thing at the front um, and then sewed my sewed my uh, my arms extra tight. So I barely could squeeze my elbow pads in there. So it made me feel real loose. Uh, it, it doesn't sound like it should, but it did for me. So. Well, it's interesting, and I've I always have, I, when I have the guys on, I really like to to ask them like kind of the break it down and and the, the science of the fight really, and like Dean Mayrad was really really into that when I had him on, and and Alex the other night was same thing, <clears throat> and it's interesting all the different guys it, their their response to this has been different with everybody. Yep. Uh, with yep. you, um, when you're squaring off, did you prefer to have them? Because there's the the line in the sand, right? And it's who's going to go first? Did you me, want them to me. come, or did you want to go nope. to them? No, nope, I go to them all the time. You know, yeah. like my fights. I, I'm again. I, I usually I would do hand movements, um, completely for no other reason besides to show my my quickness. So I would move my hands, and uh, the point wasn't lost on the people I was fighting. <laughs> so they would look at it and. Um, and they'd be like, "Oh shit!" And I, w- I would watch them try to figure out a way to get through that. And as soon as, as soon as that separation happened, uh, my, my, uh, I grab, pull into my first two. So, um, and I didn't care that people, people could know. I'm like, "Go ahead and study me. Like, give it, give it a whirl. Like, just study me. You can't do anything about it, really. It's like certain guys. There's just shit you can't do. Like, I know. I studied everybody. I studied people a lot. Um, and it was more for. I'm going to impose my will. I'm going to do what I do best. Um, I'm going to, to play to my strengths. But uh, if it gets to a point where it's uh, you know stalemate or both you guys are, uh, if there's a pause, if there's separation, uh, if there's any kind of uh, low in the action with grappling, uh, then I wanted to have um, you know backup ammunition to be able to use, and that's the only reason. And I studied a ton. I say, and mostly also their tendencies on square ups, yeah. you know, so. But when it came to actually doing the thing, when it came to actually doing the damn thing, you know, I I just fired him right up the middle as fast as I could, as hard as I could, um, and then I used my I used my jab hand on the recovery. So I'll pull back my right hand, and as I did that, I, I would make sure I wouldn't overextend my weight on my left leg. So I'm right-handed fighter, so I'll transfer weight from right to left. And as I drew back my weight from my right hand, is when I would jab or come straight up with my left and that's how i jersey people from the front lot or i would touch them on the way in from their right hand if they were trying to do that one punch you know sway back one punch pull one punch pull they would eat a jab and their two would fall short and then i would be able to get off my two or three fast ones as soon as i got you moving backwards my it was my fight all i had to do if someone's moving backwards it's my fight it, yeah, it's, it's interesting because yeah i've had different guys on like they would other guys would throw something out just for setup some yep. guys would, yep. you know, uh, some guys preferred to come. Who I'm trying to think who it was now. It might have been Mayrad. They preferred them to come so they would fight back, like come off the back foot yep. sort of on a, yep. a counter punch. They preferred yep. to do it that way. Yep. It was yep. uh, pull, yep. pull drive, yep. Yeah, catch the lean, right? So, 
Yeah, yeah. It also depends on your reach. So yeah, wow, well, that's true, too. Yeah. But I got, I got long arms. So a guy like Trevor Gillies, he doesn't have incredibly long arms, um, but has one of the strongest grips in core strength that you'll ever see on a, on a man. Um, and a back like a silver, he's got fucking literally like a silverback gorilla. Like if he couldn't, he couldn't, the, the wedding suspenders wouldn't fit on this motherfucker. We had to go with like some special made shit because they didn't cover his whole back. So there's guys like that that want you close, right? So they yeah. can grapple and then try to break your base. You know, guys like me, I don't have big legs. I got skinny little legs. So uh, strong, but you know, <laughs> physics here, you got to play to your strengths, right? So again, quickness, angles, you know, making sure. So people would pull me in and they would, they would eat a couple for it. So <laughs> yeah, so, fine by me. Go ahead, pull me. So I would go with the flow a lot. Guys would pull and then try to throw and I would sort of go with the pull and then just reset. And I'd usually get my base quicker than most. So, um, but yeah, well, there we go. Well, the, um, well, following you, you're in flames camp. With the Calgary Flames, and uh, yeah, yeah, and I was reading some articles there. And you had a you had a good camp fight with Schmier, and uh, you cool. had the fight the fight with Craig Head with yeah, Vancouver. Three fights. It was crazy how I got to that camp too. So I I was fighting out a fake ID, and I was fighting in these tough man competitions, you know, my whole life, and and uh, before I was before I was twenty one. So I had like this this uh, compilation of my boxing fights. I had like 200 boxing fights by the time I was 21. And they weren't like real like, sanctioned boxing, they just brawls and shit, but gloves. Yeah. I don't know if you remember the old like, tough man competition. Well, like smokers and shit, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. These were at like real, it was Florida used to do it, uh, for years. You just go and you sign up and put on gloves and go. And they'd be like, especially here in Orlando, we had the Roxy. It was like celebrities and shit watching just random people just coming in. Yeah. Pros, you'd have drunk people. It was a fucking disaster, but you could go every single week. I had a different place that I went in the off season, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I was fighting three to four times a week in rings in the off season after 35 seasons, just going in there working on my shit. So I sent a comp, <laughs> I sent a compilation of, I made, it cost me like at the time to put VHS copies and make one VHS copy of all my boxing fights. And I just did the knockouts. Cause I, I, most of my fights in boxing were knockouts and, um, and, and then my hockey fights over the last few years. And I sent it to every NHL team, every NHL team. And one of my buddies, uh, <laughs> was at the draft. <laughs> he was, uh, he was in the lightning is, uh, uh, Craig, Craig, not Craig, it was, uh, Oh my God. His brother played 77 for the lightning. Oh, oh my God. Anyway, everyone was talking about this retard that had sent them VHS copies of them doing retarded shit. And Calgary actually invited me to camp with it. They're like, yeah, okay. I, it was literally a video of me fighting in rings. And then I threw like some UHL fights in there or whatever. And I sent it to every NHL team and Calgary called me back. And they're like, yeah, come on. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's so, well, yeah, well, so next thing you know, you're you're sitting in the Flames camp, and you're, I mean, you got you're oh, sitting yeah. there with a Ginla. And I think Craig, Ginla was Craig Ruby year. was there, wasn't he? Was yeah, they told me that, and they they made it really. And he, Craig Ruby was so nice to me. And I, well, I'm sure for more than one reason. Uh, and they were just basically like, came in, uh, Ruby's off limits. And I was like, okay. So, and then playing me against or with him on the, you know, red and white teams and stuff. So, um, I did really, really well there. I was kind of, was kind of hoping for more out of that one. Uh, I thought I did really well in that camp. I scored some goals. I didn't lose a fight. Uh, John, I mean, John had a good fight. I mean, I was pretty good, pretty good tilt. So, um, but I, you know, I smashed Mir a couple times. I had, uh, there was another guy that fought, uh, that I fought in camp and I did, you know, I led almost the entire 
uh, 60 guys in everything in conditioning wise. I was like top two or three in every single event. Um, you know, I was just hungry, man. I was, I was hoping. So, and, uh, and Dallas had expressed some interest at that point in Salt Lake. Uh, and I, I got, when I, when I, they told, I didn't want to play like it, it was, it was kind of, well, we could send you to St. John and we don't know. And I was like, and Salt Lake city was like, Oh, Hey, come over here. And then I went to Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake's tryouts. And then that's how I ended up in Lexington. So, well, yeah, the, the Lexington man war, the one year experiment there. Um, yep. But, uh, and actually I was, I was look. I have that fight DVD. I was watching it the other night cause I knew I was going to talk to you and, yeah. uh, man, that was, um, I mean, it's, uh, well, like you and Jay Bamich taking on the world there. Yeah. yeah and we, and again, we had to, so Gillies was, Gillies and Yablonski were playing and there was like four other guys in Peoria. Like were, every team had two guys. So when Gillies yeah. and I played against each other, we just fought. I fought Yablonski and he would fight Bamich. So we, it was, it was, uh, but that, that was, um, that, that top, that was top three fighting seasons for me. I also had like seven goals and seven assists before December. You know, and I, I kicked the shit out of everybody that year. It was really, and all the guys that I had gotten beaten up by in New Orleans a few years ago thought that I was going to be like an easy fight for them. And they, you find out real quick. Uh, and all the guys that watch fighting and know fighting and all the fighters that listen to your podcast and anybody that has any idea, everyone sucked at one point. Everyone. Oh, of course. Everyone yeah. got beat up at one point and then one day it clicks. And that's the way fighters are in hockey. If you got the stones to stick with it, you're going to figure it out one day, but it takes a lot of stones to stick with it. Yeah. But, um, and I, 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 I got a lot of retribution. That was a really fun year for me because I kicked the shit out of a lot of guys that beat me up. So yeah, that was you, a did, really a, you did have a good year watching that DVD, but one of the names yeah. I want to throw at you, um, and he doesn't get talked about, unfortunately anymore. And you know, obviously with his passing and everything was the late Trevor Ettinger. You had a really good fight with him, boy. That's a tough motherfucker. Yeah. Holy shit! Uh, yeah, we almost fought. We almost we fought once, and that was I caught just a bunch of facing contests. Is what that was. We just <laughs> let's just punch each other in the face and then go play. I don't know. That was ridiculous. We just sat and punched each other in the face for like a minute. It was ridiculous. I'm like, what am I doing here? It was zero skill. We just stood straight up, no head movement, no nothing, and just hit each other. It was looking back at it now. What the hell? What the hell was that? Um, <laughs> absolute. Absolutely. No, he wasn't a bad fucking player either, man. I was really, really sad to hear about his passing. And um, definitely, I would say that was my toughest fight of the whole year. I, I, well, besides Yablonski. I mean, Yablonski was, I think we fought six times that, that year. So yeah. he was Melnichuk. Yablonski, Melnichuk. But besides those two guys, I think Edinger right was right up there. Yeah. He smashed Bannis one time, too. I mean, that kid was really tough. Yeah, he was. Well, another name you had a you actually had a couple good fights with him, and he's a big dude too, OHL guy. Uh, yeah, I actually think you fought him three times that year. Uh, T.J. Reynolds. Yeah, and and me and T.J. ended up playing with you know with each other afterwards, and I love T.J. T.J. is phenomenal. <laughs> what a phenomenal guy, absolute beauty to have a beer with. Um, and you know, T.J., I love you, buddy. He just doesn't he didn't match up well with me, and that was just a it styles make fights. He was just a little bit shorter. A not quite as quick with the same style, which matches up beautifully with me. Like if you, if that's your accolade, if you're, if you're fast and aggressive and you're, but I'm a, I'm a little bit faster. I'm a little bit more aggressive and I'm taller. Like that's just the worst recipe to fight me. So TJ did incredible against other guys and just, he just never could get, he just couldn't get off on me. And 
Uh, I love you, TJ. Great guy. I mean, he really is. And a great fighter, too. He did very, very well. He just did match up. Yep. Well, he said styles make fights, right? But, well, and you, well, you mentioned his name, and I mean, we got to talk about him, obviously. I mean, legendary minor league figure. You fought him four times this year. Uh, Yabo was Yablonski. What was it like? Was your, what was your first? No, it was six. Oh, oh, was over, it's... over the, because I went to the American League. We got called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each other. Yeah. Um, what, uh, again, uh, I know I've said it a few times, but like another salt of the year. I mean, he was in, uh, when Gillies got married, I was in Gillies' wedding party with Yablonski and a bunch of other tough guys. It was you know, the first time that I'd really gotten to know him. Um, we had ended up developing a mutual respect. Um, uh, we had obviously fought each other. Uh, some of the longest fights, I think maybe the longest fights of my career with Yablonski. Like this was, this was a dude that I was evenly matched with. Like there is just no, you can, you can watch all of our, however many, I don't even know. I'm pretty sure it's six or seven, but you can watch all of them and be like, Ooh, damn, how do you, there was just never an inch given. There wasn't ever a clear winner in any of our fights. Really? I mean, there'd be like a little edge here and then one would get the, it was a back and forth and it was, those are about as even as you can get. And uh, just a ton of respect. And there was a, there was one time where I had a mangled hand, and when I mean mangled, I mean like gross. <laughs> like, yeah, we didn't have visors, so they didn't take helmets off back then. Uh, it, my hand looked like it had been through a meat grinder for real. And I had all the, cauter, the liquid cauterizing and the and the and the clear plastic over my hand, and uh, you know I, I was playing, you know, holding my thumb and my pinky finger, and, you know, hold trying to hold my stick and play and. And uh, Yablonski was like, we're fucking going. We're fucking going. I'm like, buddy, I can't. I like, literally can't. And he's like, no, no, we got you. My coach is making me. I got you. I got you. And uh, and we ended up fighting. And I did pretty good. You know, that was one of the ones that I would probably give him the edge on if we looked at it. It was a hell of a fight. And then afterwards, he, like, felt bad. <laughs> and I think that little, like, I, he, like, felt bad. I think that, like, both of us sort of ended up having a bit of respect he had like he's like he like apologized to me afterwards. It was like mid game. We were playing. Man, I'm fucking so sorry, buddy. I had to do it, and that was kind of where we started. Like actually, you know, hey, you want to go tonight? Where it went from like fuck you, but fuck kill you. So like, yeah, you don't want to go tonight. Like that's the progression. All these people talking about the fucking code and all this bullshit. That shit doesn't even remotely exist unless you have five or six fights with somebody, and then you can have respect for somebody if you've gone to war against them. All this bullshit, like, if I don't know you and we got to have a code and this is how things go, that, that shit was nowhere to be found when I played. <laughs> no. Fucking nowhere. Guys were punching each other on the ice, trying to slam your head off the fucking ice, getting concussions, clawing at you. Those guys, you know, with fucking fingernails sharpened. I mean, you have no idea. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then people talk about the code, like, they know what the fuck they're talking about. It's absolutely ridiculous. So... Yo, know, I, I, I've always said I could do a whole, I, well, I talked, that was our first initial conversation I, way back when was about the code and it, you and I think Mayot were getting into it about it online and I was talking to you about it. Anyway, I said, I'm going to do a whole episode on that. But anyway, besides that, we'll get out of that. That's a whole other story. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. That's yeah. Fine. <laughs> but speaking of the code or not knowing the code, um, when you end up in Utah at the end of the year, you have two fights against this guy. Again, polarizing figure. I've had guys on this show. Like I think Steve Parsons would run this dude over today if he saw him. Um, Francis Lassard. Um, yeah, yeah. There, he's got a lot of heat with people now. Now, he's just an asshole. That's why. Well, exactly. Well, well, there you go. Well, there. Okay. Well, there you go. Let's not sugarcoat it. Yeah, yeah like yeah. some and it, and 
and it was Parsons that said it. They said France. He's a real tough dude, and he doesn't need to do the shit that he does. I don't know why he does it. He doesn't. Uh, he need said to. That, that's about perfect. That's about perfectly said. I yeah. saw him. So we we had um, we fought in Chicago, I believe. Um, and I speak French, right? So I fucking asked him to go in French. And usually French guys like when you do shit like that. Like French guys are like, oh, you're trying. You're that's so cute. You're Canadian. Like it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, French guys usually like when you do shit like that. Now yep. I just like fighting. So, um, and I, we had, uh, I mean, I know I'll talk, I mean, I have a lot of fights, so, but I'm like, this is, this is one of the good ones. I mean, we, whew, boy, man, he just steps in and he's fast like me, right? So he's got that mm-hmm. fat. He's a little bit bigger, but not quite as tall. And it made for a fantastic fight, and we were just firing them fast. And I was like, holy fuck, this guy's quick, too, and strong. And it was fucking great. I mean, it was a, oh, my God, it was an incredible fight. Um, even now when I watch it, I cringe a little bit because there's, there's just some. And nobody goes down. Everything's good. You know, it probably about a minute to a minute and 15, definitely one of my longest fights. Um, with I must have been, felt <laughs> like there was 100 punches thrown, like just crazy. Saw him at the bar afterwards, and um, – you know, and it wasn't like it was late at night or whatever. And I just went up, put my hand out to shake it, and he fucking walked away. I was like, "You're a fucking douchebag!" Like, fuck you. And that's the that's the kind. And that's just one little story. I played against him a bunch. That's just what he does. That's how he is. There's no need. There's no need. I'll still fight you the next game. I'm not trying to be your buddy. Like I'm showing you a little bit of respect, dude. It's not like I'm some guy cowering either. Like I'm not trying to be your friend. Like you don't have to act like that. So it just makes me think that he's just really just an asshole at heart. So. There you, you heard it here, boys and girls. There you go. Well, <laughs> well, like you said, the next year, like you said, Dallas was showing interest. Well, you're in Dallas camp, and you have man. That was what, last night I watched that fight with you and McLaren. Ooh, yep. Stone People, Cold. Man. If you don't know hockey, if you don't know hockey, minor league hockey, you don't know who Steve McLaren is. If you played hockey and you understand hockey and you watch hockey, you realize that that's one of the toughest dudes that's ever laced up skates. One of the best fighters that have laced up skates in the history of our game. Yep. That dude is a absolute killer. They didn't dress Reed low so that McLaren could fight. I ended up fighting Reed low the next night, but <laughs> they, yeah. they put McLaren first. McLaren was, would, would have been the toughest guy in the NHL if he could stick handle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Skate. <laughs> Poor guy. Sorry, Steve, but I, I, again, what a, uh, uh, and that's a polar opposite. So we fought a bunch of times. Um, I beat him. I beat him in Dallas. I, I dropped him pretty good. Uh, and he made me pay for it in Salt Lake not too long after. Um, he did the whole, that's the guy we're talking about styles. So you saw our fight in Dallas, Amway center, center ice place goes fucking nuts. Dave, I come off the bench, you know, Dave Tippett comes over and goes, I guess we found another toughest guy in the world now. I mean, there was, I mean, I was just cloud nine. So, uh, you know, I ended up getting sent down or whatever, but you know, on a really good note and he comes, he gets sent down to Worcester to play each other. Um, he warms up. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have his, uh, he doesn't, no, he has a stick, but he doesn't put, participate in the drills. He just stands in under the red line and just stares at me. And, uh, not like with a menacing look, just with like a, just with, just with like a calm face, like, yeah, no big deal. Right. But he just stared at me the whole time. So of course I went over there and, uh, you know, me being myself and just started getting into it. So he, uh, he lines up with me. So first shift, obviously we're fighting, right? So he lines up with me and he, he's righty, right? So his left hand's in front of him. He rolls his shoulder. So he's almost like moving towards me with his back. And I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) Whoa. What's I've never seen this before. So I fucking took the bait. 
I grab, which is usually a fantastic grab. If you grab somebody behind the shoulder, you can spin them, right? So if you get them, obviously people are always trying to control the opposite side, but if you can get behind them and spin them, you're in a really good spot. So I grabbed, he rolled his left hand over the top of my arm and fucking hit me to the hardest punch I've ever been hit with ever. And I, well, second hardest behind DJ King. So, and knocked both my contacts out of my eyes, black in my eyes, both of them. It was, and I, I thought I lost, I ended up watching, rewatching the fight. Didn't look too bad. Like on my part, it, it, but my face was broken and, you know, I landed a couple good ones and couldn't play the rest of the game. So Don Hay, who's the coach there, says, oh, next night, he says, you want to play again? Are you okay to play? Like, we're not, you're obviously not going to fight. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm fighting. He's like, Mike, you can't. Both my eyes were like fucking black the next day. You can't fight. I'm like, no, I said, I'm fighting. So you put me out there against him. So I went out there in a second, and I asked him, like, you fucking ready? And he looked at me. He's like, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> I was like, I'm not kidding you, buddy. And I almost, I almost think he felt bad. Cause I like I seriously I like, he didn't like I grabbed him and hit him a couple times and fell over like it was I I, I kind of won the fight it wasn't much of anything but I was like what the fuck was that and then we ended up flying to St Louis the next night after being in Salt Lake played each other the third time we lined up with each other the and, and he's like we're not really doing this again are we and I'm like yeah let's take the night off so <laughs> coincidentally like uh, like Polar Francis Lassard I, I met him out I saw him out at the bar afterwards went up bought him a drink. Um, shook my hand, and that's when I realized, whoa. Like, I got, dude, I got big hands. I have big fucking hands. It was like shaking a frozen turkey. Like, th- this dude's hands were so big, and his forearm was like two of my forearms. It was like a like somebody had been doing carpentry their whole life, just hammering nails into a wall. It was the strongest grip forearm, and we had a bunch of beers all night. Fantastic guy. Uh, we fought a couple times after that, just in different teams. You know, obviously, just that's the way it works, but... Um, man, what a what a what a what a punch on that guy! What a fucking punch on that guy! Stone cold, man. <laughs> he was legit, dude, man, for sure. Yep. Um, well, that year, like you said, you had the big fights. There were Scheffelmeyer and Reed Lowe and McLaren. Yep. With the, and you look really, yep. you know, it was really solid. Did you mm-hmm. think this was like? Did Dallas indicate that like you could get caught? Like this could be the year you could come up? Like yep. did they? Yeah. Yep. Did Did you like yep. just like what the fuck? What happened? Like, because really, I was looking at the roster. I mean, Erskine's there, but Downey. he's on D. But it's Downey. It yeah, it was Downey. It was Downey. No, no, they they wanted to as well. So Kurtali was uh, coaching the Texas Tornadoes at the time, the junior team. They shared a building with um, with 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 uh, their practice uh, thing is like a hundred thirty million dollar facility in Frisco, Texas, and they shared with the junior team with with Dallas Stars. And obviously, Kotali being, you know, intertwined with, you know, NHL guys and whatnot. It's like, hey, you know, you know, he was pivotal in getting me to Dallas as well as obviously Detroit. But uh, I was kicking ass. And uh, and this is, uh, you know, it's no secret to anybody. Um, you know, he said, well, why, why aren't you guys calling up Scroy? He asked, uh, you know, Tippett and some of the guys that, you know, have to have a couple of years. And they, they, they told him flat out, they're like, we can't give him any money. And they're right. They were right, and I, you know, I was so mad hearing that back then. And you know, looking back at it, if somebody had given me a million dollars back then, I would be dead right now. I was an absolute fucking animal off the ice, you know. And it wasn't no drugs or anything, but I was, you know, girls and and, and booze and and just just being a wild man. Um, and that's that's on a pretty limited fucking American League salary. If somebody had given me some money, it wouldn't have been pretty. And Dallas is a fun place. <laughs> so, yeah, um, they told him flat out, they go, "We can't give him money." 
and that's you know they told Trevor Daly. We, uh, Trevor Daly was my roommate that year. They told him he couldn't live with me the next year. And it was just it was uh, it was a, it was a learning a few learning years for me. You know, I always thought, hey man, if I do my job the best and toughest guy in the world, I can do whatever I want. I'm a fucking man, you know that kind of dumb shit. And uh, I paid the price for it. So I don't know if I could have done it any other way. So I've thought about this before too, like my mentality. Don't know if I could have done it any other way. No, I don't know if I could have been like, okay, you just got to tighten it up and not be as crazy, whatever. Like I had to be. That's just kind of how I had to do the job. I don't know if I could have drank protein shakes and stayed home if I would have been tough. I I don't know if I could have done it. Not so I could have done it in MMA or boxing because you got okay. Your fight's July 16th. Prepare six weeks. Fight. Go do whatever the fuck you want. You got nothing to do. You fight Derek Bugard in the first period. You might have to fight him in the third, and then you got to fight Steve McLaren on Wednesday, and then Ryan Flynn on Saturday. Like you can't do that drinking protein shakes. Like you have to be able to let loose and have an edge. There's no way. The guys that were just like, I'm just going to drink protein shakes and just be in best shape and that kind of stuff. If you're a player, sure. If you do that, you have a one- or two-year shelf life as a, as a pro hockey fighter. There's just, just no way you can do it. If you need your pajamas to be blue instead of red in order to win a fight, you're fucked. You're done. you got a very short shelf life. So you have to be able to pull it together. I remember a couple times I had some really, really good fights. and I might have had a couple sodas the night before and you know, obviously, as I got older, I didn't do it as much. I turned to poker and some other things that kept me, you know, my 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 brain occupied because I'm a very passionate individual. You know, I need uh, I need stimulation all the time from you know competition and things of that nature. So uh, I just had to find new ways to tackle that that issue rather than drinking and you know talking to girls and shit. So. Well, there you go. Uh, well, you yeah, mentioned yeah. them. Well, you had a, you had a, you had a few fights with them. Um, was yeah. of course the late Derek Bugard. What was it like fighting a, a young boogeyman at that point? Yes, you know, it's, uh, if you read his book, uh, yeah. he talks about me being one of the tougher guys that he's ever fought. So, um, you know, I beat him two of the three times, and I remember it was two years after our first couple fights. Uh, I fought him, and I remember him starting to control me at the end of our fight and i quickly got his jersey over the front of his face and i remember going that felt way different than the first two times (laughs) he's learning uh, yeah yeah yeah. just like so i i got him you know i got him he was very very tough obviously at that point in american league and he was you know he'd he'd given sugden and rocky a couple good fights and then he was you know he wasn't like he was a fucking walkthrough by any means he was certainly one of the toughest guys in the league but um but yeah, he he uh, he figured it out. <laughs> yes, he did. He put it all um, together. Yeah. Well, another guy right at the end of this year, you're down in the East Coast League in Idaho, and uh, uh, John Nasty Morasti is your first run in with another buddy of mine. What was it like fighting? Now, of course, John's about five foot seven and five foot eight. What was it like? your first run in with Marasti because this is his rookie year. So he's, yeah, I, had a, I, had a, I had a broken nose in that fight. So I started that fight with a broken nose and it didn't, it didn't make any difference in the fight except for I was leaking afterwards. Cause he, he touched me with, he touched me with a little guy and my nose started leaking. I was like, sorry, Johnny, I already have a broken nose, <laughs> but he was, he's another guy that figured it out. He always was super willing. Um, he ran oh. into a few of my, and a few of my, into a few of my punches. Like, you know, I, Okay, I, you know, I beat Johnny his first year, and then, you know, whatever. He turned into an absolute killer. I, I got a couple of these guys at, at a good time. Uh, me and Johnny, I, you know, I played in Syracuse with him a bunch of years afterwards. He got a million times tougher after that fight, like a million times tougher after that fight. So I certainly would have given him the edge later on in my career if we had a fought again. I certainly would have, would have put my money on Johnny on, on the latter end of that. So, um, 
but we, uh, <laughs> another guy I got along so good with him. I still I talk to him all the time on Facebook. You know, he's on that new Shorzy show. I fucking love that guy. <laughs> yeah. He is, uh, and he's what he's what a, a, a fighter. You know, the old school time. This what they embodied. You know, guys like that. Like he, he wasn't clutching and grabbing. It's whatever hand that you didn't have tied up was coming at your. You know, was coming right at you, man. And and he could wear a shot. I mean, I punched him with everything I had in my fucking arsenal, and he was laughing at me afterwards. I was like, oh shit, okay. That's probably going to be pretty tough in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have to ask you because you did play with him uh, as a teammate in Idaho at this point, and uh, was uh, Kanopka. He is yeah. a very Zen and Kanopka. There's a, he, I heard he's a very that's a very strong personality. How did you two guys get along? Zen and Kanopka is the epitome of what a warrior embodies in hockey. Yep. Um, you know, he is, he would be, if you had an all warrior fucking team, Zenit Kanaka would be my first draft pick. Um, I, him and the late Lance Galbraith, who just died a few months ago, yeah. him, uh, Kanaka, me and Lance were really good buddies. Um, you know, obviously Kanaka went on and do, you know, great, huge things. Him and Gillies were very, very close. So we've all, oh, and, you know, he played with me. He actually played with me in Salt Lake, uh, yep. for a little while. Uh, so, and then, um, but uh, I I, can't, I couldn't say enough great things about that guy. Uh, if you have a hockey team and you have a chance to get a guy like Zenek on it, you should break your back to get a guy like Zenek Anopka. I've never seen a guy go face first into more shit just because he wants to do it for his team. And, you know, uh, just no regard for his body <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, like, it just belongs to the club. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I, 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 um, I truly respect him at the highest level. Um, that's that's an, and he the first year in the East Coast when I was fighting TJ and what he was a wheeling. I think he got like seventy four points and fucking three hundred pounds. Man, those, those are ridiculous numbers he put up in, in his first East Coast league year. So maybe not the heavyweight of all heavyweights, but I don't give a shit. I, you put him on your team, you put him on the third line, and you will never be disappointed with him. No, exactly. Well, the following year you're in Wilkesbury, and you play with a couple characters on that team too. Uh, you got Colby Armstrong, and Kochi, yep. uh, Ryan yep. Whitney, of course, of Spit and yep. Chicklets fame, um, and mm-hmm. Ryan Vandenbush. Well, speaking mm-hmm. of Warriors, Oof. yep, yep. Uh, and I, we can have a whole, we can have a whole fucking podcast on that year, buddy. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. Well, in terms of um, in fighting in that year. Um, I mean, you you mentioned how hard DJ King hit you. That was the hardest yeah. you've ever been hit was King. What's that? DJ King. That would be the hardest. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the hardest I've been hit. Yeah, for sure. And it was a there was a bit. And I don't say lucky like he got lucky in hitting me. <laughs> he definitely hit my face clean, and it was all his skill that hit me in the face. There's no doubt, and his toughness. But the unlucky part was his knuckle hit my eyeball before it hit the surrounding orbital. Uh, bone, which is normally you get, you know, you hear people, oh, they fractured their orbital bone. You hit me so hard. Like my bones, like I have the ridiculously dense bones. I don't break bones. Um, it's just, I, I still have all my teeth. Uh, you know, my hands have, you know, no breaks in them. Yeah. My eyeball shot back into my head. And behind your orbital bone, there's these little potato chip bones called orbital floor bones. And they're like, they're potato chips. And the muscles in my eye got caught into the it's it's a fucking ugly story but i saw double so i had surgery um i was out for like two months i was seeing i saw double for a month and when i mean double i mean fucking 
double. Like I see two of you in front of me equally as clear. Um, it was, that was a rough one, man. That was a rough one. Uh, I threw up the whole bus ride home from Worcester. I think we were in, I can't remember. Worcester, yeah. Worcester, I swung all right home. Uh, you know, they didn't know shit about concussions back then, you know? So, uh, so yeah, that was a, that was a good one. I got my retribution, but he toe picked. He lost his balance in our fight. And I took a little, a little advantage of that. So, uh, and I was happy to end the series at one and one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, another guy that you fought that year, you fought him a couple times, and of course, legendary minor league enforcer, uh, all-time American League penalty minute leader, was the menace, Dennis Bonvey. What was it like playing yeah. against that guy? We did not like each other when we played. I'd, I'd, I'd probably love the guy now. I, I really would. I was, um, it was, our fucking fights were weird. So I broke my neck that year in... Um, Oh, no, wait, but I was, sorry, the following year. I the fought following year, yeah. That's, that was like, yeah. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I thought I only fought him once in Wilkes-Barre. I don't know. I've been hit a lot. Um, I remember them being pretty lackluster fights, to be honest with you. Um, I think one of them was, like, my first or second fight back after my eye surgery. I think I was a little tentative on one of them. Uh, didn't get beat or anything, but there was just no, I don't think there was a lot going on there, which was unusual for my fights. You know, there's always something, there's always hands flying somewhere. I was a little... You know, uh, for a couple fights, I mean, cut me some slack, right? I, had yeah. to, I was eased my way back into it. You know, I eased it back. I kept Brennan and fucking Dennis Bondi and, like, Riley Cote. I was probably not the smartest guy to so ease your way back into it. But, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, well, your final fight of that season in Wilkes-Barre was against Big Earn, Brian McGratton. Um, yeah. The, the, well, that's, a, that's another tough individual. Um, yeah, so I, Big Earn and, and I like so another one. So me and so Bondi, Big Earn, even the Sheriff McMorrow, we there was a big rivalry between a lot of us because we're all mouthpieces too. And he, Big Earn's tough not to like laugh at him because he's mean as fuck, but he's funny as shit, right? So he like says funny shit and got to like not laugh because you're being serious. He'll like he'll like insult you, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> so yeah, got to like not laugh when he does it. Um, but that fucker didn't fight me all year, so. Uh, and this, and, and I hope you, I hope somebody can, can fact check this shit because this is exactly what happened. Everyone can know because it's on the goddamn thing. It's our first fight. I've been to Wilkesbury all year. Now Binghamton is Wilkesbury's parent club, our, our sister sister club. We played each other like fourteen times that year. Fucker would never, ever, ever, ever fight me. He would knock out Coachy every single time. It was like Coachy was his. He just Coachy did not match up well with McGrattan, and I would chase him around the ring. Let's fucking go, and he would just laugh at me, talk shit. I mean, it was ridiculous. We go to Norfolk at St. Patrick's. It was the two days before St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day fell on a Sunday. I, I, I fight uh, uh, Thornton on Friday. I fight Mike Brown on Saturday. Okay, we drive eight hours home from Norfolk to play a 1 p.m. game on Sunday at the pretty much the end of the fucking season, and he's waiting for me at Center Rice with his gloves off. He knew that I was going to be fucking tired and I, and I still fucking gave him one hell of a fight. That was a great fight. But that fucker waited until a smart, sneaky fucker waited until that day to do it. And you know, because you know we played against him a million times. Everyone knows I must have tried to fight him a thousand times. And why is the only fight of us on St. Patrick's Day at the end of the season? Because that fucker is a sneaky fucker and he got me. <laughs> and it was smart. And I hate it. And I hate that he was smart. <laughs> and he got me, fucker. <laughs> well, well it, it at, 
Well, there you go. Um, well, <laughs> after this season, of course, is the infamous Hockey Enforcer Black and Blue Tournament. Yep. Um, yep. Were you, uh, at this point, um, uh, were you told by anybody to, like, not go in this because it would be a bad look? Did you ever get that? No, they didn't know. They didn't know. So I went, I ended up getting signed with, with New Jersey, and it wasn't yeah. until after they signed. Now, uh, I can't now see Lou being a big it. fan of this. <laughs> You know, Lou Lou treated me like fucking gold. Yeah. Uh, wow, he treated me like gold. And Robinson, uh, that was the year I was closest to the NHL. And if it weren't for Cam Jansen and David Clarkson, who I still talk to all the time right now, uh, I, I probably would have got my shot that year. I didn't lose any fights that year. I was scoring goals. I was fucking people up. I mean, it was that was that was a really good season for me. Um, but yeah, uh, I remember in training camp, Robinson came over to me and went. I lost some money on you in that finals. <laughs> he turned around and walked away. <laughs> and then, like later on, it was like later on in the camp. He came over. He's like, "I'm just, I'm just giving you shit." He's like, "I think you won that." And I was like, oh, "Okay, well, thanks." So there's a lot of people. I'd be fired. I remember fighting guys, and then in the box, uh, I can't remember who it was. I was fighting the guy, and uh, goddamn, was it Flynn? It was like a, a, a guy that we, you know, another heavyweight, and he, he said, Scorsese, after our fight, you know, in the box fixing their game, Scorsese. I was like, what? He's like, you won that shit. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was pretty fucking, you know, I love, hey, Dean's my boy, man. It was a close one. It was. It was. A close one. I watched it last one. night. I watched it again. I was watched all your fights in that tournament. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you had J- yeah, you had Jason Simon, uh, for those wondering, yep. Jason Simon, yep. uh, Jason yep. Bone, Steve Reed, and then you had yep. Mayrad in the final. And it was funny when I had Dean on, and he's talking about the, he talked about the event. He said the same thing. It was, you know, could go either way. He laughed because he goes, when you watch the fight, he goes, uh, he goes, I throw a jab, and he goes, it's a great fucking knocks it away. And all he says is, I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> we had fought before. There's another great example of how guys can get better, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, I think I fought Dean his rookie year, and he was one of the guys on my UHL. UHL uh, tear, and uh, he was, he posed zero threat at, at his rookie year. I mean, it wasn't even close our fights. And then clearly, <laughs> guys get better. And it's like you know, you, you can never be like, oh, I fought him four years ago. He's not tough. Like it doesn't work that way. So I'll, I always give respect to people. And I'm always like, okay, well, how much has he fought since then? Because there's a lot that can happen. And, and uh, certainly, he, to be honest with you, he had from the time that I fought him in the UHL to. So that that might be the biggest metamorphosis of guy that can't really fight to a guy that can fight. Well, he said yeah, the same. He said the same thing. Like, he, yeah, like he said in the UHL, he was always willing, but he goes his yeah. balance was so bad. He goes, I just yeah, couldn't, I, I couldn't keep stand up. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. but once I, he found his legs in the LNAH and yeah. you know and fought everybody and yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, he talked about it at length in that thing. Yeah, he said the same thing. You know, the two years in the UHL, it was just like, yeah, he's finding himself. But, yeah. Well, I was going to say from that black and blue tournament, I mean, I remember, like, as kids or whatever, as fight fans, we'd all, oh, imagine a tournament with all the guys, and, you know, you'd always daydream about it. But all of a sudden, when we heard it was actually happening, we're like, you know, get the fuck out of here. Like, this, there's no way this is real. And then Derek all of a sudden... it out as it went. We had, like, Derek Parker, like, grab the fucking microphone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was an absolute shit show. Um, but, in, I mean, it was the first time it had ever been done. Yeah. And there was a lot of moving parts. So, I mean, I give them props. I mean, and they were they were roadblocked at every single step of the way, too. I mean, they had a, they had a, a big uphill... 
uh, thing to climb. I think it's brilliant them doing it on fucking synthetic. I think that's absolutely brilliant what they're doing now. Brilliant. Yeah. There's zero overhead. You can yeah. do it anywhere. You can do it in a fucking garage. I mean, it's brilliant yeah. with that. They should have thought of that in the first place. Actually, I don't even think there was great synthetic ice back then, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 of course, one of the guys at the, at the thing was, of course, oh, Link Gates. Did you have any interactions yeah. with the legendary missing Link? Oh, my God. Everything that you ever heard about the guy is true. Right? Uh, Just, I know. Uh, I didn't, I'd, never, I'd never met him before or anything, but I, you know, everyone's got a story. You know, I'm, you know, walking into people's houses, taking shits in their toilet, like, <laughs> yeah. right, like, just shit like that. You hear the wildest stories about that guy. He's he's just randomly snapping on people for no reason. He was, he was, a, I didn't like him very much, to be honest with you. But uh, he was, I think he, I don't know, there was just something. He was just off. Like it was like crazy. He was too crazy. You know, like that uncontrollable. Yeah. You know, just this too loose, too loose. You know, like yeah. you got to be able to reel it in for the for regular people and shit. I don't think he was able to do that. So, no. Well, the following year, like you said, you're in Binghamton, and mm-hmm. you talk about your your neck injury. You break your neck. Yeah. What what yeah. happened? Like what 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 was that going was, on? There? I, 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 that was the, that was the year I think it could have got done. That was definitely the year that it could have got done. I was I was in the best shape of my life. Um, I was moving. I was I was feeling strong. Uh, I was starting to hit guys. Um, you know, I laid out a couple people, and it was the first time I'd really started embracing the physical aspect of the role as an enforcer uh, outside of fighting. Um, and they were in last place, so it was easy for me to pick fights. <laughs> it's easy to pick fights when you're getting sick of daddy all the time. So and we had uh, we just had really bad goaltending actually. And but uh, Cameron uh, Malcolm Cameron was our coach and. Uh, and he was, it was awful the way that, uh, honestly, the way the city treated him and the way the players treated him, but uh, he loved me, and I, I loved the way he treated me and, and the ice he gave me and the, the opportunities he gave me. Um, I'm ever grateful for it and the way that he gave me an opportunity after I came back and broke my neck, and, you know, I, I, I worked really hard to get back, and I was fighting 12 weeks after I broke my neck, which is to me, insane now, looking back at it, I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? Um, and I, I have some... I have some lingering uh, permanent issues from that quick comeback. So uh, I kind of figured that was going to happen. And certainly, you know, I don't take anything back ever. You know, it just, there's no regrets in that. But I probably could have done that a little smarter. <laughs> yeah, well, in terms of that, like at that point, like you said, with the injury and and was that sort of, um, I don't want to say was that it, but did that sort of kill any like did you think the NHL was done at that point or did you still think um, you could do it I still thought I could do it uh, my first four fights back from my neck injury did not go well yeah. uh, at all uh, Kit Brennan Riley Cote uh, Martin Grignac did okay against I think uh, maybe even Dennis Bonzi I, I had some I had a pretty big pretty big lineup and I didn't I didn't win one of those I, I and it, it felt like it felt like it was going to be a really big so one of the biggest things that happened in that was because I built my muscle back so quickly, I lost my range of motion. Um, and now I lost a cut. I mean, even today I lost reach on my right arm because I can't extend it as far as I used to. So, you know, two, three inches is a big fucking deal if you're a hockey fighter. Um, so I had to kind of morph my style and my style has always been about reach and length and speed and quickness and aggression. And I had to kind of do things a little differently. I had to sort of almost try to be a bit more of a power puncher and, and fight. So there was, there was a, after that, uh, I didn't get, 
after that, I, I went. I ended up going to England. I tried to. No, after that was when I started scoring goals. So I came. Back yeah, you had twenty five goals in Johnstown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, "Fuck, maybe it's time for me to show everybody I can play some hockey." Um, and I did. I went out there and I fucked shit up, man. I scored a bunch of goals. I was on the power play. Uh, you know, I should have gone. I'm so fucking mad at this at John March for not sending me the fucking All Star game. I was leading goals and assists, and I was fucking a, a fighting veteran. And they sent some fucking puke twenty year old that didn't make it. I was so fucking mad at him for that. Like the one time I could have played in the All Star game and deserved it, um, and I didn't get the chance. And, and I didn't. I asked for a trade pretty fucking quickly after that. And yeah, he was. Uh, he wasn't shy to trade, trade me to one of the fucking worst cities ever. Uh, and I ended up loving it. I ended up loving going to John. It was a terrible social place to play, but I really loved my teammates, and I, I loved playing for that city. And there was, you know, just a little bit of history there. And I had a really good season and uh, did well in the playoffs. And, I mean, we, 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 I went hard there. And I scored a ton of fucking goals. And, you know, I got fucking three, I got three games in call-ups at the end of the season. I was like, okay. And I fought guys, too. I did well in my fights, too. I, I think I only fought seven or eight times, but I beat everybody that I fought. I mean, there was East Coast League guys, you know, granted. But, you know, I got three American League games. After being one of the toughest guys in the world, putting up fucking 50 points, like, give me a fucking brick. So I was like, all right. I tried to do it the next year and put some fucking numbers up in Elmira, too. Uh, I had, like, I don't know, 17 points and 18 games in Elmira. And yeah. I, I it, it was. I can't remember exactly what it was. But it was like point a game, bunch of yep. goals, and uh, and eventually, uh, you know, it, it boiled down to I realized that this this wasn't going to work. I couldn't be uh, that wasn't going to get called up as a power forward. No one was going to take me seriously. So I said, "Fuck it, I'll go to England, and I'll be I'll continue this. You know, I, I lost a lot of weight, so I could move a little bit better. I'll be like a power forward." You know, make some quid, <laughs> yep. make some pounds, and, you know, I'll, I'll be able to fight. I should be able to fight with McMorrow and still be able to play. Uh, fucking big mistake that was. Uh, so I went there as, like, a half-ass fighter that was going to be a power forward. Really, again, I felt like I was fucking 18 again. Where I was like, what, I, what exactly what, I'm, what am I going to do here? And, uh, and McMorrow lit me the fuck up. I think about three or four times. Like that, he just got the shit kicked out of me. I mean, you can't do fighting half fast. And good, good life lesson. I ended up putting up some pretty good numbers in England. And then I came back and and I remember, you know, talking to my pops and and Gillies too. And they're like, "Hey, man, like, what do you want to do? Like, you are you done with the fighting? Like, do you want to be a fighter or do you want to try to keep going as a player?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not. I don't think I'm done as a fighter." So they're like, "Well, then you got to go. You got to fucking give her." And then I was really going to most proudest i've been you know the proudest some of my proudest years were just you know chilling in the in the east coast league at the end there uh you know uh i came back i never worked harder in my life in the off season and i just came back like a like a 21 year old hungry fucking rookie for two years you know uh, evansville uh texas uh colorado uh the eagles and i just went to war i just went to fucking war and uh, I had some pretty good years there, and I did not lose very many fights. And my last year, uh, my last fight in March was against a guy I'm um, really good friends with, Robin Richards, fantastic guy, very good fighter. Yep. Uh, we're going pretty even fight, and I threw a punch, and I remember feeling this electric surge from my knuckles all the way down on my bad side, all the way down my back, all the way up my neck, and uh, and it wasn't shortly after that that I went to the uh, – to the docs and they're like yeah you probably shouldn't be playing anymore and i was like oh okay 
Uh, and I tried to continue. I played a little bit for the Solar Bears. I retired essentially at that point. Played a little bit for the uh, for the Solar Bears. Once I stopped playing and stopped doing stuff, uh, and the game that's when the game was getting so fucking soft that I could have showed up with one arm and then one eye and still probably kick the shit out of everybody. You know, so it was uh, there was I never I didn't get a fight after that. I played I think I played parts of three seasons for the Solar Bears after that. Like I didn't get one fight, so it was uh, I was just there helping out Drake and trying to show some leadership and you know transitioning into coaching as well. So, but yeah, there you go. go. Well, well, I gotta I do have to ask you because I have some I have a lot of UK listeners, and uh, I will say though UK fans, boy, they're loyal to the tough guys. Um, what, what, what was your, what was your feeling going over there and you playing in Sheffield? How did you enjoy it? And, uh, how'd you enjoy your I time really, playing over there? I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I love everything. Sheffield it was awesome to me. You know, like I, I think that I got a little bit of flack because they thought that they were getting the old Mike Stroy there. Um, and then they got a guy that was scoring goals that could beat up most guys, but would lose to the guy that they hated. And, you know, it was just kind of, you know, I was up there. Uh, I, I like, I, I really, all things considered, it was a really good time, but it's always going to, I'm always going to have a dark cloud in my head about it because it was the mistake that I made to go over there and fight guys like Sean McMorrow unprepared. Um, so my time in England is always going to have that in the back of my head. So um, as far as the, the situation, the fans, the organization, um, just the hockey and just the lifestyle and everything, I was really happy that I did it. I was very happy. and They treated me very, very well. Um, but it, I, can't, I can't help but cringe a little bit every time I think about my time there because of I know I just didn't get handled like that. You know, you can watch it online. I got handled. I, I showed up. I mean, I, I hit him a few times, or whatever. But I, it was he was just so much stronger, bigger. I just remember going, I fucked up big time. And once you're in the season, it's not like I can just go and prepare myself to fight now. Like you have, like I need, I need a little bit. <laughs> I got to lift some weights. I got to do some boxing. Like, it's a preparation. You can't just like. Not at that level, anyways. Like, of course, I could be good, but you fight guys like fucking Sean McMorrow, you better be fucking ready. And um, and I was ready, like mentally, I thought I could do it, but I just, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't dedicated enough to my craft to fight guys at that level. So, um, well, I, and I'm, I'm really thankful for Sean. Uh, and I've told this, you know, I've been on his podcast too. I'm really thankful for him uh, because he he fucking he he humbled me. And he made me go back to the drawing board and gave me two of my, you know, because of that, I said, that's never going to fucking happen again. And, well, you uh, kind of, yeah, you kind of mentioned it and it, and you and it sounds like it really, I mean, the score and the, like kind of the, after the injury and whatever, coming back and I'm going to score, maybe scoring the 25 goals in the East Coast League might've been the worst thing that happened. As stupid well, as that sounds. I, I mean, I don't think, that, I don't think I could, even at the level, like, I don't think I would have held up. Uh, you know, fighting guys, you know, I fight some really, really tough guys in the UHL and whatnot, but I think, and, but even after that, I mean, we're talking two years, you know, maybe 30 fights in those two years. Um, some pretty tough guys. There's no doubt I had fought some big, tough guys, but, um, had I played in the NHL, I don't think my body would have held up against guys like Rock and Ivanis and all those guys. I don't think I would have held up. So I, I don't think it was, uh, to be honest with you, looking back at it, I'm really glad I did it because nobody can say, like, you're a fucking scrub or a goon or whatever. I'm like, yeah, well, the last time you saw a goon score a fucking 25 in an East Coast League season in 43 games. Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen very often, you know. So, uh, you know, hat tricks and, you know, I, I put up some points. Again, it was confusing, but there was... Well, you kind of had this, like, tweener thing going, right? Like, yeah, it was like... What? You kind of had that tweener thing going, right? It's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You got to... If it, you know, like I said, if you're 
you're a, if you're a, you can't be a kicker in football and then want to, and be a, a great tackler or a great thrower, you know, like you're a kicker or a thrower, you know what I mean? Like you gotta, and then you gotta do things that 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 fit that job description in order to fit into your team atmosphere and your team, you know, the whole every, all the systems. So you can't have your fucking tenth forward trying to toe drag guys at blue lines. Even if I'm successful once in a while, you can't have that kind of shit. You know, and not only that, but I'm out there to scare people, to physically change the momentum of the game with intimidation. If I'm not hitting, and I'm if I've already fought, and now I'm not really trying to fight anymore, I'm trying to score, that doesn't really do anything. So, you know, I'll score some goals and make myself look cool, but it's not the best thing for the team. So, yeah, well, and especially at that in that time frame, right? That early mid two thousands, it was a real it was a real pigeonhole type of of yeah. role, right? And it was basically there were so many guys too. There was just so many. So I got my I got my fights. And I did great in my fights, but it wasn't again. It was how you did the job. I do the job yeah. the right way. Well, before we kind of wrap this up, the, the one thing, and I think I've heard you say it, and and I don't. If not, forgive me, but I think you have. But and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. But you have said you were your own worst enemy. Could be. Yep. Well, that's uh, yeah. It's a scroy quality. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, is that a true statement? Like, uh, you know, looking back on things, like, I mean, I, and, I and again, in hockey, I mean, everything's. You know, there's obviously a political aspect to it's everything. Specific. As well. It's but it's yeah. specific. It, it's big. If you talk about. Am I my own worst enemy for the reasons I didn't make the NHL? Yep. Uh, my my worst enemy for the life that I lived playing 20 years of pro hockey? Nope. This is the greatest time of my fucking life. And there's very, very... Not, not awesome. It's one of the... I'm, I'm, I have a great life right now. I got tons of awesome competition and intensity. But, um, you know, like I said before, I don't know if I could have done it any different. Like, I had to make an irrational psyche... <laughs> Because what I was doing, you know, I'm a relatively intelligent guy. I could have done a lot of things in my life, and you know that that, that had you know uh, that were using my brain. And actually, I am doing as, as a coach right now. I'm showing my capacity for intelligence and retaining you know information and stuff like that. I'm showing that now. Um, a lot like me wanting to show that I could play hockey as well as fight. So you know there was, yeah, yeah so yes, but. Uh, well, because yeah. like a reason I ask is well, also you you mentioned it at the start of this interview. You sort of said it was a WWF character, like you sort of yeah, had to get it's not real. It wasn't yeah, real. The fight, it, the, my love for fighting was real. Yeah, the whole character that, that I that I put out there was was not. Was yeah, not, but not do you one. think sometimes that the character may have took over sometimes? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and again, but that that might have been the way that I was. The, like, I, I'm. I, I, I remember sort of doing this stuff mentally with my dad. Honestly, I, I don't know if I could have done it. So it took over, but it was a necessity that it took over. I don't, I wouldn't have been able to do the job for that long. Could I have had a yeah. couple of successful years, you know, drinking protein shakes and being a good boy and just focusing? Yeah, probably. But I certainly wouldn't have had a, you know, 17-year career or whatever. You know, like, that wouldn't happen. You know what? It, it, it's kind of funny because you and I, before we got talking, of course, well, they were obviously the people weren't listening because it was before I was recording. <laughs> but we were talking about those ESPN thirty for thirty shows, and yep. uh, the one that it kind of reminds me of. I don't know, and maybe you saw it was the Bosworth one, Brian Bosworth when he talks about being I the boss. I, I saw I saw a bit of that where you're selling yeah. the shirts and the, yeah, yeah, but he yeah, talks so, about take the character like he's not really that yeah. guy, but he had to get the character to yeah. get into it. Yeah. And but he said, unfortunately, the boss sort of took over sometimes the character. Of the boss, it's sort of interesting as you're talking about it. It's sort of like yep. that, well, sort of. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, no, very, very similar. But it also needed to be successful. He was a flash in the pan, though, because he was only in the NFL for a couple of years. That was a... Yeah, you know what I'm saying, uh, though, kind of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, 100%. No, and the character did take over, and... Hey, I watch old videos of myself telling stories and interviews, and I'm so glad the the one interview was good with me with the reel and stuff because that's that was a lot of people watch that, but there's a lot of interviews that people haven't seen, you know, with me, and I fucking watch them, and it's like nails on a chalkboard. I'm like, oh my fucking god, I hate the way I behaved. Like, you know, like I I get it. We're all supposed to be, you know, like, and and I'm very accepting of the fact that everyone's supposed to be dumb as fuck when they're in their twenties. That's the time that you're supposed to make mistakes and learn about life. And you know, I I'm not ashamed. Um, it's cringy, but I'm not ashamed of it because I wasn't a spectator in this life. I went out there and I fucking did what I thought I needed to do to to do the things I wanted to do. And some of that shit was creating a cringy fucking egotistical, you know, wrestling character that it's tough for me to watch because like I, you know, I'm not the picture of maturity now, but I'm definitely a role model for kids and, 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 uh, and other athletes. And I'm a coach and I, I, I take my job as a coach and as, uh, you know, somebody that I want people to model, you know, what I'm saying and what I'm doing after, um, that was not the case, you know, uh, looking at that, uh, I, I, I want to be as far away from that person. And I'm not talking about the fighting, like, um, you know, I, I threw the gloves on the other day and, and went at it with some of the best 185ers in the world. Uh, you know, in the in the cage the other day with Valentine Woodburn and and uh, you know and 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 I, I still that part of it's still there. I, I'm not ashamed of my fighting, or I still can fight and all that great shit. But um, that that character um, that that's that's tough for me to look. People all oh, look at this. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to see it. <laughs> but like you said, burn. though, there was also an edge that was needed, right? Mohawk, I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah, but like you said, there was also an edge that came with that character that was needed. Yeah, and yeah, you were very successful was. at doing it. So, yeah, you know, no, I'm not. And that's that's you know. like, it's, it, for me. It's tough to look at, but again, yeah. I'm not ashamed of it because it's like I was fucking accomplishing some pretty big things with that character. Yeah. So, and I, you know, who's gonna someone who's gonna tell anybody how to be a, a pro hockey fighter? I mean, they literally outlawed the job because it's so fucking ridiculously difficult. I mean, it's yeah. not. I mean, people are just d- dropping like flies uh, after their careers are over. I mean, there's probably only there's probably like fifty percent of us that aren't dead right now. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, you know, who's gonna tell me that I'm not doing uh, I'm doing it the wrong way? There isn't an authority on these. All the the authorities they're all dead. Yeah. You know, so I, you have to kind of go by what you feel. It's not like there's some old, you know, boxing mentor fighter. It's not like, you know, Bob Prover. These guys are fucking, they're done. There's nobody that can really show you that job and how to do it. The best chance you have is getting on a team as a young, tough guy with a guy that's already there who can show you the ropes. But there's not like there's some, like, 50-year-old fucking guru. Like, here's how you'd be a great hockey fighter, and here's how you should behave. And this, There was none of that. There was none of that. You have to just kind of figure it out, so... Well, yeah, and like, yeah. and like you said, those that were in the role at the time, I mean, it was dog eat, right? Especially in the minors. Yep. I mean, no yep. one's, you know, you're taking food, right? So off their tables, they're yep. going to help you. So and it's every day, it's yeah. every day, and that's the, you know, people, are, oh, it's tougher in a hockey fight. It's a tough thing in the entire world to do. You, it's not just the physical, you know, beatings and the physical impact of of fighting thirty five times in a year plus playing plus summer training it's the mental preparation to fight for your life every single game you don't show up to games when you're a fighter going eh, i'll take the night off you wind up in a fucking hospital when you do that you have to be ready every night and that's where the toll gets taken people oh concussions and drugs and this and that 
yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not saying that with a light heart at all. hundred percent. Those are, those are, uh, you know, distinguishing factors on what's happened to people that have done my role and the reason why some of them are not around right now, hundred percent. But I think that the catalyst to those things is going from preparing to fight for your life and sometimes actually fighting for your life, sometimes multiple times in a night. And then all of a sudden retirement, bang. And now you're used to fucking like big shit popping off every fucking week. And now there's just a gray veil over life. And a lot of the guys I've talked with, I'm actually in the, currently in the, in the process of speaking with the PHPA to form a support group for us. So, and I have a lot of fighters on board and it's something that you're going to probably hear about in the next six months, four to six months. That's excellent. So. Yeah. And I definitely, well, I definitely want to have you back on to talk about that because I know just from doing this show and, you know, I have friends obviously that played and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. The, the, a lot of guys, a lot of guys, it just were not prepared for life after hockey and it, and it hits guys. I wasn't either. And it hits guys real hard if you don't have a plan, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I got lucky a little bit, you know, in, in the fighting thing and being a coach and it sort of, it sort of tempered the, uh, it tempered the, um, the adrenaline gene that I think I have <laughs> that they say that uh, people like us and people that jump out of planes have. And, you know, so uh, you need, if you have it, you, there's no shutting it off. There's no, so you have to find an outlet for it. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to have found outlets for, for my uh, competition and my adrenaline gene, you know, um, and one of them is cornering the top fighters in the world. Uh, that shit is fucking intense, man. And honestly, sometimes we have six to eight people fighting in some of the top shows. And, uh, and you want to talk about a fucking emotional roller coaster when you care and work with these people and they're like your brothers and students. And, and now they're in there and there's nothing you can do. All the, all your work is done and it's just fucking nerve wracking. And then all of a sudden, you know, something big happens and okay, Oh shit, we got four more guys and you know, we got to do it all over again in five minutes. And it's, it's, it's insane. But I'm built for that. Like, I'm really fucking built for that. Um, and I'm built for, I'm comfortable in chaos. I'm really comfortable in chaos. And the problem is, is when people are, are comfortable in chaos and they like it, they will, they will uh, they create it for themselves. Well, they also create seek it, it right? <laughs> well, that, yeah, same thing, same exact thing. Yeah. So, uh, and it's whether or not you can find a functional, healthy way to, to channel that. And that's what I've done, and that's what Gillies has done, and that's what a lot of a few of the guys that are doing pretty good right now. That's what they've done, and that's why they're not hurting right now, you know. So yeah, well, and that's the thing, and I think, and there are some success stories out there, and I think they need yep. to get out there because I mean, a lot of people always focus, and you know, they focus on the dark, but there are some successful ones too to show people there is light, right? And you can blood. You know, fuck, man. I've said that so many times. Yeah. Like it was getting, I turned off the Bob Prober documentary. You know, I love yeah. The Last Gladiator. I loved it. And, you know, I'm just in the one with, uh, uh, not Terry, the, the other one before that. The la- no, there wasn't the last, there was the Hockey oh. Gladiators, Last Gladiators, but I watched like five in a row. And it was just the goddamn, I, I was so, I'm so mad at it. Like, and I get it. There's a lot of bad stuff that's happened to us, whatever. But, you know, there's a handful of us that were like, hey, man, we fucking partied, we fought, we fucked, we did all this shit. We, we literally lived the greatest life ever. And no one talks about the awesome side of the things we did. I'll look back on those memories. Like, that is some insane, awesome shit that some of us fucking did. And you don't even have to talk to us, talk to our teammates. They'll be the first ones to be like, those guys, holy fuck, we played, but what the fuck? I could never do that. Like, we have so much respect from the people that actually played the game. 
You know, I can go to, uh, you know, I, I'd, I ran into, I brought the, I brought my kid to the, you know, Nigel was coaching the, the Lightning. He got my kid into the locker room. They happened to be playing the Golden Knights, and Flurry was there. I hadn't seen Flurry in about 15 years, and I was like, you know, my kid really wanted. To, he loves goalies, so right away it was like, I was like, hey, you remember me? He's like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, Ryan Reeves, come here. You know, he's calling fucking his teammates. I'm in Tampa. He's calling his teammates over to take pictures with my kid. Like, that's the kind. And then, you know, as soon as uh, Nigel tells him, oh, he's an enforcer back at all the Tampa guys, they know. The players know. Absolutely. The people that surround the game, they know. And that respect goes a long way with me. It's just, it, it just does. It's so fucking, it's just so heartwarming to, because everyone's just trying to pretend like we didn't exist. Like yeah. the NHL is like, oh, what, what do you mean enforcers? We don't know who that is. Like, what, what are enforcers? Like, like it's all, it's like yeah. Yeah, we, we're just it's like this dirty secret that they have, and they're just trying to pre- pretend that it, we, there was never people like us. And yeah, so well, like people, that's, and that's what I was telling you, right? When I was setting it yeah. up with you, I said, well, that was the point of this show. I got real tired of listening to people talk about, oh, that's hockey's dark time, and they're dummies, and we don't talk about that. And I was like, no, I want their stories out there, and that's why I wanted you, and I've had Morasti and McIntyre and all these guys on to tell the story. And it's like, yeah, and and what what you guys went through. And, uh, yeah, and there's the respect factor. A lot of it's good, buddy. Like, a lot of it is good. I mean, I was on the top of the – I felt top of the world for years, decades maybe, in some – if you put it all together – I wouldn't trade it for the fucking world, man. I don't care. I can't turn left, can't raise my right arm. There's a lot of things I can't do right now. I'd fucking wouldn't take it back. Not even, not nothing. I wouldn't take it back for anything. It's fucking amazing. I learned so much about myself, character. There's just, there's, there's an unlimited amount of lessons and, and, and amazing things that, that, and to take that away from people, like, oh, God. Well, and to downgrade it, like, it's just like, no, I don't care that he was yeah. a fourth line guy, a third line guy. It doesn't matter. He was there. Stop yeah. with that shit. You know, it's just motherfuckers like, are assistant manager and next to Colin Corey Perry a loser. Like, get the fuck out of here. Exactly. <laughs> well, before we go, I know you're doing some you're doing some great hockey things with your skills yeah. with the and coaching. I was gonna say yeah. all these years when you're down in Florida as a at way back in the day to what you're what the kids are doing now, how much has hockey grown in Florida since you've been there? It's a completely different. It's a different universe. Yeah. Right now, because of especially because of uh, Canada being locked up and all the crazy stuff with the politics and the and the stuff over the country, where Florida, we've been doing, we've been the whole time we've been going. You know, six months the rinks are open. We have a developmental yeah. edge on Canadian kids from the years of 2010 to 2014, and it's so fucking obvious. Not only that, but all the fucking people that have money and the means to move from Canada to Florida have done that with incredible hockey players. This is an absolute stud ass market for young kids. You have no idea. Uh, Vincent LeCavalier's team last year, third, the 2011 group, which is my son's age group, fucking last cut from that goddamn team. Vincent, he only took 12 players on his team. My, my son was the last cut on, uh, for that team. 2011, third in the country for AAA. The third, the Florida Lions, 2011. You can look it up. Third best team in the country smashing Minnesota teams, like going up and just cleaning the clock with fucking Michigan. People don't even know. They don't even know. Like there's 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 so many retired NHL guys down. Well, that was the thing. There's so many retired guys that stick in Florida. You know the you know the offspring's coming, right? So well, yeah. that's happening. But the difference is, is now there's coaching. Now yeah. there's coaching down here. More yep. so in Tampa. More so in Tampa than anywhere. Tampa's the big hub. But you know, I'm 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 I've been doing big things in Orlando right now. I mean, I got a ton. I got I have four kids going to Team USA this year. I mean, I've only been doing this ten years. Uh, so you no, know, now the five-year-olds and the six-year-olds that I was working with ten years ago are the you know 
the last 35 on Team USA or the last 12 on the defenseman on Team USA, uh, Division One scholarships. Like we're 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 turning out some fucking kids now, and uh, and and my niche is contact. I'm a contact. I do contact clinics. I do tons of skills. I couldn't. I, I can't, I couldn't, if you could put a gun to my head, I can't do, the shit I can do right now at 50%, I can't do any of it at 100%. I can show these kids how to do it, plus I teach them how to hit and how to play the right way, how to play tough, how to play safe, and how to be aggressive. The shit nobody's teaching, everyone's doing Pavel Barber bullshit and fucking Zegras shit and all that kind of stuff, and nobody knows how to take a puck off the wall, nobody knows how to throw their body properly, no one has, knows how to take a check properly. These things are so fucking valuable to, to, to youth hockey players, and no one's teaching it. So my kids are just completely dominating on, on, on a lot of levels, especially on the physical level. Isn't it so, amazing? Uh, no one yeah. teaches it, but everybody wants it. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Well, that's tremendous, man. And I know and I've, I've, ta- I've had a few people tell me that uh, you got to check out what Segroy's uh, doing down there. And, uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's excellent, man. And I'm, I'm really happy for you that you've – that you found it after hockey and, and you're giving back and uh, that's cool. And then man. fusion, fusion XL, fusion yeah. XL. Uh, you can look us up too, man. It's one of the best fight gyms in the world. So I'm seven days a week. I don't really take days off. Um, I'm either working with the greatest fighters on the planet or some of the best kids. And I don't even care if you're a good hockey player. Like I work with kids right now that, you know, I got kids that have lost their moms, lost their dads, uh, you know, all kinds of cases where it's like, I'm just big brother now. You know, I'm coach. I'm I'm taking on a you know. I got into it because oh maybe I'll do this to make some money. And now I just got a fucking massive family of like 200 brothers and sisters. It's crazy, and I love every minute of it. And I'm I'm built for it. I got a big heart, and I'm passionate about what I do. So I see nothing but good things coming in the future, man. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, and it's sport, right? And kids need it. And I mean, it's not only yep. competition, but it's life skills that go far beyond the playing field. So yeah, yep. absolutely. And. uh well, man, I'll I'll let you go. I know we've talked here for a long time, and uh, I hey, I enjoyed the trip. I hope you uh, I yeah, hope man. you did too. It was great going timeline yeah. in your career. What a ride! I loved it, man. I really appreciate it, man. I really lo- I appreciate you having me on, man. I had a blast. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, hopefully, uh, like I said, when you when you get that uh, the PHPA thing going there, and uh, and it will definitely, I got, I have a few topics I want to bring you back for if you're willing to do it, and because uh, like you said, you're not afraid to throw your opinion out, so you're the perfect guy for a podcast. <laughs> so, absolutely, absolutely, brother. All right, Mike, I'll let you go, but thank you very much again. I really appreciate it. I right, have a good night, brother. Thank you. You too. Thank you. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 